What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. We could just chase chickens around the yard. <laughs> Good luck catching those fuckers. Dude, I'll put you in there like Rocky Balboa. I'll, I'll, sit, here like, I'll sit here like Mick and just, you got to run like thunder. What is that? Lightning and thunder, something along the lines. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. Yeah, it's been a while, right? It's a good movie, though. I want you to eat lightning and crap thunder, kid. Yeah. What? Uh, Have you been watching any? Are you a UFC fan? No. Have I mean, I know a lot of guys these that days? fight. It's been weird as shit watching, like, the um, – just been strange as hell watching the UFC without a crowd. Like, is this sports for the future? Well, because you can – somebody was telling me now, like, when you listen to the fight, you hear – you're actually hearing it. It's not like – Yeah. It's the only thing you're hearing because there's no crowd. Yeah. Yeah, you're hitting every hit, every kick. And then you're also hearing, like, they're also hearing Joe Rogan goes, oh, God, he's cut. <laughs> you know, fuck, I'm cut. Yeah. I mean, they're probably like, fuck. Yeah. Fuck. That's <laughs> so crazy. I don't feel my face right now, but he said I'm cut like eight inches across my forehead. Well, can you imagine, like, MLB or or something like that, crowdless stadiums? I mean, they said they're going to go back to, like, now they're going to do, like, a 60-game season. Um, and the players are just complaining because they're not going to get paid their full boat. It's like, dude, yeah, everything's prorated this year. It's kind of a shit show. We all got to take a hit. Yeah. yeah. Do you not realize this doesn't work without? And I don't know, man. Some some of these businesses like the D- UFC doesn't. They, they're basically saying that they've earned enough money off of ESPN Plus and their endorsements from that that they're not worried about the gate price anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't really give a shit how many people show up to watch it live, which to me is kind of like a, just a smack in the face to fans. Anyways, is like, yeah, we don't really make you a priority to come watch this anymore, but we're going to continue to run this because we're making money. TV ratings are great. Yeah, TV ratings are great. Exactly. Just stay quarantined, stay in your house, don't move. WrestleMania pay-per-view. Dude, no doubt. You remember that stuff? Yeah. Were you WWF, oh, WWE are you kidding me? fan? Big time. Were you? What, the, um, the, the Ultimate Warrior? Mm-hmm. That guy's still my power animal. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and what was the, uh, the scissor? There was the dude with the scissors. Barbara... Uh, Barber Beefcake or something like that. I don't remember. He was a stud. It was Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake Come on, for sure. Son. I was dude. So I mean, for me in my day, I remember all, like Hulkmania and like all that stuff. But like my heyday and like major time, I remember all of it was like Sting, The Undertaker, uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. You know, Degeneration X. That whole era oh, that yeah. happened in that time when all the older guys had retired. Mankind. Dude, so you weren't around when Ric Flair and all no, that? No, I was. I was, but I was oh, I yeah. was like super young. You know, so to like remember it as, as vividly as I do the, the newer the new generation which uh, Which I don't even pay attention to. It's kinda like country <laughs> music, you know. Like once I stopped hearing Reba McIntyre and uh, and Randy Travis on the radio consistently and Garth Brooks, I'm like, this is all bullshit. There's nothing. They're singing about nothing. It's all phony. This sucks. Yeah. 
until you know Tyler Childers comes on the scene and you know, hey, Tyler's listening. good though. dude he's epic and Brent, Crushing Brent Cobb yeah you, you're if you haven't listened to him you're fucking welcome he's amazing really Brent Cobb man Brent amazing Cobb. yeah Sturgill I loved him for a long time I feel like a little Sturgilled out for the for the being for the time being mm-hmm. he'll come out with some new funky stuff that I love but um yeah man Brent Cobb mm, see I so grew good. up I was like I'm a big Clint three Black guy Clint Black's amazing. Clint Black was just Dude. legendary. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's Do you see all the permanent marks on his face from the panties that have been flung at him? No, but I'm going to have to look that up. He's got indentations everywhere across his face, yeah, from yeah. like all different types of kinky panties shot at his face, but Yeah. <laughs> I remember this is just I'm going to make fun of myself. Someone's going to make fun of me for this oh, one. That's all right. When I was in grade school, my dream of my first kiss was always to like the rain i wanted my first kiss to be playing that song in a rainy scene like out of a movie oh man yeah i mean epic well you can make it happen with i did some make gal- it happen not my first one but i, yeah. I made that happen yeah. i lived that in the eighth grade i fulfilled that dream just a total makeout session or what yeah to, to like the rain in the pouring rain where you kiss for more than five minutes i haven't done that since eighth grade <laughs> Jeez, you know what I mean? It's just so funny how you're like, yeah, that's yeah, that's that was eighth grade. <laughs> Next base. <laughs> oh, man. Right, and then once you get to the next base, it's like, then where'd the making out go? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Yeah, well, Roman- romanticism is not dead. I don't think so. Chivalry's not dead. Ask my wife. Kind to her every day. Yeah. That's Anyways, you're, we're gonna they're they're gonna hear some chickens and be like, "What the fuck are the chi- you know? Is it chickens in the background? Yeah, there's chickens in the background. Yeah, we got chickens, we got birds. I really love this light setup above us, even though it's daytime right now. Yeah, man, just a cheap Amazon set, you know. Yeah, I I just set up a gang of those in my backyard. They'll do they light it up so well, and it's just enough light where you're not getting like it's not a blast of it, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a very mellow, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like a soft. Yes. Soft lighting. Yeah, and the mosquitoes go there instead of come down here <laughs> for at least the first ten minutes. Have you then you get the fire going. That's what the, this is for. Then you get the smoke going. You get the, get the mosquitoes right out of here. How do you like that thing? Um, mm, it was a it was a wedding gift. Yeah. Uh, he loved it, so he got it for me. And I'm not dogging it. I'm saying like it doesn't kick off any radiant heat. It's a little small. I feel like. It's a little. It's a yeah. It's a little I mean, small. I've uh, always beggars seen can't Instagram be ads right? for those. Yep. And I, I, I imagined. I think it's a smaller version of the two. Oh, okay, okay. And, and the fact that you know it's smokeless or whatever, I, I kind of enjoy smoke, and I kind of feel like. Wait, that's smokeless. So they, it does kick off less smoke. It mm-hmm. burns cleaner. Let's just put it that way. Okay. But it just goes. It, it kind of goes against my. Um, Oh, man, don't get me started on my cynicism, especially this year. Yeah. This year has just been like, it's just hard <laughs> to see the positives, right? It really is. Like, um, in, in, in one of them, that I, when, I, when I look at this product, I'm like, man, how baby shit soft have we got where we can't have a fire? Because we dictate what our fire pit is depending on how much smoke it kicks off. Yeah. Come smoke down to the is Bay part Area, of mankind. Dude. Just Come, enjoy the smoke, man. Dude, down in California... During the peak of the winter cold season, we'll usually have 40 to 50 days of no fire. No wood burning, period. And it's the dead of winter, and you can't have a fire in your fireplace in California because of air quality control. Really? Yeah. 
terrible. Well, I mean, the rest of the year, you guys just burn and smoke everywhere, right? Yeah, because everybody just rolls up joints and smokes that shit down. Well, that's the world <laughs> we live in, brother. <laughs> well, Montana's not far from that. <laughs> see all the guys standing on the corner legalize marijuana? It's everywhere here. Is it really? Well, they're trying to get it to legalize. I don't, I've heard mixed reviews whether that's a good or bad thing for the industry here, but... Uh-huh. I don't know. I'm not in that business. So driving down the road, I saw tons of signs for like CBD and oh, yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. Now I take a bunch of CBD. I, I love this stuff. It has been extremely beneficial for me. But every time I travel, I'm never sure. Like, am I going somewhere where I'm carrying a? F- There's it's THC CBD, but it's still, you know, like a, a cannabis product. Right? Sure. So if cannabis is illegal, like. You know, if I'm going through this state, is this a felony? Like, what do I have in my pocket? You know, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, w- w- you came through Utah, Nevada, so, mm-hmm. yeah, you're in trouble. I didn't come you're through Utah. Too. Okay. Um, I take 80 to Wells, and then I come up from Wells through Jackpot okay. into Twin Falls, and then out to Pocatello. Awesome. Up to Idaho Falls, and then I bring the tw- I take the 20 up into Gallatin and come over the top and back down you've done that drive a couple times just a bit dude you're not, you're a driver i'm you know? a, yeah yeah i've been doing a lot of driving my whole life i love it i love he's the open. Down, yeah. roll it up and, <laughs> <laughs> and he's gonna do what they can't, say can't be done <laughs> we got a long do you have that song just playing on repeat sometimes in your truck at all times? sometimes man <laughs> sometimes uh, <laughs> you are a traveler man you're a nomadic person i love that um I love that about you. Well, it was like when I was at biggest, one of my biggest mistakes this year that, that I had happened in your driveway. And I was leaving Montana and you're like, hey, do you just want to leave your deer meat and your elk meat and your deer head here? And I'll take care of it. And next time you come up, you know, we'll just. Yeah, you, you literally don't then. have to do anything until you come back here, yeah. which will be like in a week. Yeah, right. After you drive back to California and come back. but And come back. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, no, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. And. Went down to sheep camp, and in sheep camp, I had my buck skull ripped off, my 4 by 5 that I shot, got ripped off by some pit bulls and a German shepherd, and then I took the meat to a butcher, and the butcher fucked up my flip-flops and cut the handles off oh, all of them. Oh, dude. <laughs> it's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh. I just got put through the ringer on that trip. Yeah, that's brutal. You told me about that. You sent me pictures of the <laughs> aftermath. <laughs> And when I offered that, I, I sincerely offered it to you, but it was also kind of like, you know, when you were at lunch as a kid and your buddy didn't have as good a lunch as you and you're like, I don't want to offer him anything, but you I'm going to because I'm a good person, but I hope he says no. Yeah. You know, as you left, I'm like, well, it's, a, it's not too bad of a thing. You know, that would have been a lot of running around. It would have been a lot of work Andy's for you. And worth it. And, well, I would have hey, been I happy. To, I would have done it for you in a second I and I'll do it again. Yeah. I'm just saying the instinctual <laughs> part of it. You leaving was like, eh, it's not the only and I got a busy week coming up. So, sorry. <laughs> if I could go back to last year, that's one thing I'd change from uh, last year. I tell you what, you leave him here anytime you want, man. We get you see that like my buddy, my buddy gave me the commercial freezer. Mm-hmm. I could, we could stick a lot of deer in there for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So right. I'm pretty excited to have that. That thing's been super, super handy. Yeah. But man. yeah, man. So I guess we haven't even introduced you. So Brett, why don't you tell us who you are and what do you do? My name is Brett Sang. I've been here in Montana since I was 18 years old. I'm not a native, but I'm 38 now. I've been here 20 years. I've been here for the better half of my life. So, yes, I will call myself a Montanan. Not a native-born one, but I will call myself a Montanan. Um, I 
lived in Bozeman for 17 of those years, and just as of three years ago, moved out to Manhattan, which is kind of a little neighboring town, about 17 miles outside of town. Um, it's full. Don't come here, but I hear uh, Three Forks is nice. <laughs> Three Forks is really nice. <laughs> it's just kind of a it's kind of a model around here. You know, I get I get property alerts on on Three Forks all the time on my phone from Zilla. Three Forks is great, man. The Three Forks is great. The whole valley is really it's beautiful. It's it's a wonderful life here. Um, and I stayed the, when I moved here when I was eighteen. I moved here to pretty much hunt and fish because mm-hmm. um, I didn't move here for the women. I'll tell you that much. Not <laughs> in 2000. Holy cow, man. I mean, every gal I met, I'm coming from the Illinois, northeastern Illinois. Raised and born, as, uh, born and raised as a farm kid. Um, just outside of the city of Chicago, about 35 miles right on the Wisconsin line. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming from there, um, which, you know, I'm an 18-year-old kid coming out, or a 17-year-old kid coming out to Montana and, um, you know, I get here and, like, every gal I meet's like, stronger than me and plays uh, nose guard. Yeah. And, you know, in their in, in their post. Yeah. In their on their seven man football team uh, or six man football team in high school and stuff. And, like, I- I'm not joking you, man. Like, these chicks were strong and big old mile city gals. Yeah. And uh, plus there was, like, five dudes around each one of them. So. It was a lonely couple of years getting, yeah, basically only fish and hunt. Um, didn't think I would ever find a wife here or stay here the rest of my life. I just went here for school, um, learned how to elk hunt here, learned how to mule deer hunt here, antelope, everything. And grew up in Illinois hunting out of a tree stand, hunting deer. That was the way you hunted. Um, didn't even hunt off ground blinds. It was just tree stand hunting. And came out here and really got my feet wet with elk and deer and antelope. And it's just been an amazing amazing process yeah i'm just enjoying not only the the meat and the the success of those of those hunts but sharing it with other people and 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 learning so much every single year even to this day you learn so much about montana what it has to offer and how to hunt deer and there's a lot of diversity here absolutely you know as far as you can do a high country mountain or mule deer hunt and you could hunt at that 9,500 feet if you want, or you can go out in the plains and stick it out with the rattlesnakes and yeah. hunt draws, and you'll find them in low country. River bottoms, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. White Some t- monster whitetails, man. Yes, yes. There. And the diversity of whitetail hunting. Um, th- I mean, you can go out t- towards Missoula and find them up at that 7,500. Um, even, I bet you they go as high as, uh, don't quote me on this, but as high as 8,500 or 9,000 feet up in there. And and you'll find them on top of the mountains down over there. It's weird. I've hunted over there quite a bit, especially in college. And um, it's just diverse to, to have whitetails in the mountains over there on the western edge of the of the state, and then go out east and hunt river bottoms. It's wonderful. I think you, your opportunity for whitetails here is limited because the majority of them are in cottonwood bottoms along the rivers, and those are private pretty much yeah. for the most part. We do have a lot of public land in Montana, which is wonderful. We do have a lot of landlocked land here, which is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but makes it really difficult. Makes it difficult. Makes it difficult for sure. Some people, I've and I've had my opportunities to enjoy some of that landlocked property, getting access through uh, private land. But you know, for the most part, I think we have a lot of opportunity here, and we have a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. And as far as elk hunting goes, I mean, we're lucky. We get to hunt it every year. Well, what's crazy is like if you look at. Um, because I put in for Montana every year. So if you look at tag sales three years ago, uh, or three seasons ago, you could, uh, even <clears throat> when they released the, the quote surplus tags, there was tags left over because not enough people put in to draw all the tags. Right. Last year, 
the numbers doubled. So it was it was getting into points. You needed points to draw a general big game combo. Right. And this past season during the draw, it doubled from what last year was. So in three years, if I understood correctly, it's gone up four times the amount of people putting in. And that's like, you know, now it's it's difficult to get a big game combo tag, which for me, that was, I relied on that every year. Sure. My over-the-counter, you know, Montana hunt, I loved it. And now I'm like, this year I didn't get drawn. I'm on the on the reserve list hoping that I get it. It's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. I yeah. mean, it's it's all escalated a lot in the five, last five or six years. We've had an amazing economy, right? People mm-hmm. have more leisure time now than they probably have ever had in the history of mankind. Right. And... Let's face it, you know, hunting isn't for sustenance anymore. It's 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 a it's a I wouldn't call it a hobby, it's a passion, it's a it's a culture, it's, it's a, a it's a way of lifestyle, yeah. yes. And people want to incorporate that more and as we learn more about you know, getting back to the roots of just eating organically. Yeah. It it's harder these days. It's expensive to eat organic vegetables at the grocery store. Just go to the you know, go to Rose Hours here in town and, and buy yourself a, a well balanced dinner yeah, well, of you- organic vegetables. And bro, you're not going to spend less than fifty. I promise you, you won't. Yeah. And that's exp- that's expensive. But what you can do, and not to say that hunting's cheaper than going to the grocery store to buy meat, but uh, there's a lot more adventure to it. Yeah. There's Your a dollar lot- goes a lot further. Yes. 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 Absolutely. And you also, you know, obviously those experiences that go along the way are priceless. You know, the cliches, uh, the cliches on hunting are endless, but it's because they're true. <laughs> cliches are what they are because they're true, right? Yeah. The but glory of the backcountry hunt. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. And, I mean, dude, there's more information out there these days than there ever has been. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I use YouTube all the time. I just started welding earlier um, this year, and every time I run into an issue, my brother's phenomenal. And he gave me the welder, and he, he gave, taught me the basics. He's a great teacher. But ever since then, he's like, listen, just go to YouTube. I mean, it's insane how much info's in there. Like, he's, he, just, he doesn't have the time to really give me all the details. But he's like, not only will you learn more, but you, you, have, you have a variety of options to learn just one specific type of welding. And on the hunting outdoor or fly fishing side or, or spin fishing side, whatever it is, like there's so much information out there that there never was prior. So, I mean, the opportunity for people to learn how to go out and have the courage to go hunt for the first time, which is endearing, dude. It is. Mm-hmm. To go in the mountains for the first time is... It's nerve-wracking. Yeah. Um, and especially to stay overnight by yourself for the first time. I don't care how long you've been hunting. That can be endearing at times. Yeah. It depends on where you're at, especially around here. It's funny, you know, because so many people have, like, uh, when I take guys out in California for their first time, largest thing that I hear is, like, well, what do I need to worry about bears? Do I need bear spray? Do I need a gun? Like, all these diff- – it's different up here when it comes to bears because you're dealing with grizzlies, you know, but – everybody always gets really stressed out about bears and for me i've just i mean for the longest time i just tie a sleeping bag off to my backpack hike around find the spot i was going to sleep that night you know clear the forest floor right rack out on the floor roll my bag up and keep hiking the next day right and i never thought about bears once it's just not even like right. in the reality yeah. of anything that's going to go wrong but for me, so like my biggest fear is rattlesnakes. So I've been hunting in some places with rattlesnakes and I have the fear of rattlesnakes the way that, you know, like city folk have the fear of bears, which is, it's interesting to see it 
in that perspective. Absolutely. I just don't understand why, you know, whatever you believe in, whatever creation you believe in, why a rattlesnake was made to kill something it couldn't eat. You know what I mean? And drop all that venom in you. We got rattlesnakes right here on this property. Mm -hmm. And it's just something that we have to deal with because, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful property, but it comes with some, some negatives. And with the some rattlesnakes. <laughs> once in a while, we kill a rattlesnake around here. I will say that rattlesnakes, as long as they still have... They still have rattles, and they buzz. I mean, for the most part, a lot of them buzz from a good 10 feet, I would say on average, because I get buzzed a lot. I get buzzed here. I get buzzed out east, um, out north-central Montana, a lot of rattlesnakes out there too. And um, as long as they're giving you warning, like, in fact, I'll even go as far as to say I get a little hippie about it. Like, if he gives me fair warning, I walk around him. But if he doesn't buzz me and I walk up on top of him, He's going down like some <laughs> He's going down, dude. I'm going to stand over, over the top it. of him like Muhammad Ali. Absolutely, he's going down, dude. <laughs> and that's just the way it goes. Here on this property, we take all of them out because we just don't need them here. Yeah, it's not worth it. Ah, yeah. Why risk it? I feel a little guilty about it because it's just kind of like, not to get all hippie about it, but we're just kind of like constantly as human mankind pushing things aside. Like, get out of my way. Get out of my way. Yeah. Get out of my way. You know? Deer, you can be over here. Oh, you can be California. over here. Snakes, you can be over here as long as it's not on my property. As soon as they get <laughs> on the road, the neighbor's going to say, "Get off my property." And we're just, <laughs> but in the big picture of things, we kind of just take wildlife and you know wherever it's convenient for us to push them, we push them. So well, like, the I get a little hippie about wildlife areas is just insanity. Yeah, population's yeah. out of control. Our population, our human population, is out of control. Oh yeah, man, we're the virus for we sure. Are, we are the virus. Like the way the matrix. And right now we're down. getting a little taste of what nature thinks of that oh i can't wait for the day that nature decides to really put a, a hindrance on not any place specific but the world population as a whole right. and it'll happen and if anybody 100%. wants to say that it won't happen nature gets sick nature gets fed up you know what i mean it is a planet and the planet will purge whatever it needs to purge yes. in order for its own survival if there's anything perfect on this world, on this planet, it's nature. Yes. It has its balance, right? Absolutely. And, and it does get out of balance, but it does come back around and balance. In the in the big balances picture, itself it balances out. itself out. And the the thing is, is that uh, nature looks at it in the long game. We look at it in our lifetime, in the next ten years, in the next five years. It's a planet, man. Yep. We're talking thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years. You know what I mean? There's no stopping it. 100%. You know? 100%. It's crazy. Well, you know, just got to take our finger off the control button, which we don't have control over. And yeah. just uh, a little humble pie, man, every single day. We're living it right now as a world. You know, at, on a global on a global level, we're all going through a crisis right now. Mm -hmm. And granted, here in Montana, um, COVID has been a low number here. It's, it's well, you been guys were very shut small. the fuck down. Like, you were the Bozeman was one of the first places I remember being uh, shut down. Yep. Yeah, I mean, but, even but before California. The, the social distancing thing here is it's easy to be done, right? Yeah. Um, and they haven't stopped us from recreating and whatnot. But, I mean, as an outfitter, I work as a fly fishing outfitter. I've been doing it. This is my 18th season. Um, I couldn't guide um, in April and May when I do have clients coming. Um, all those guys have fortunately rebooked or given me a gift card for a later date. I got great people. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I wasn't able to even take someone fly fishing, which didn't make any sense to me. You know, yeah. like there is a distance of five feet in the boat between I mean, it's not six but dude come on we're talking a foot here um but still like, like 
what needs to happen. But we all made those sacrifices together. But really, for the most part, here in Montana, we're kind of watching the world experience what it's experienced on a greater level than we are here. Mm-hmm. And trying to have empathy for it, trying to understand, trying to do our part to do everything that can possibly help here. But I can tell you right now, man, the, the people are coming um, to Montana. They're, they're, they're around. They're recreating here. I think the Great American Road Trip is back. I think... I think the Woody station wagons are loaded up, and I think the Griswolds are going. (laughs) And they're they're traveling, bro, because I've seen nothing but plates from everywhere else. Yeah. And um, as you – I mean, have you flown any time? You just just got back from New York. Yeah, I just came back. You know what it's like. I mean, I don't know how many days it take you to get back to California from New York. Did Mm -hmm. it take a day? Uh, Yeah, I mean, no, not even. Plus one? Not even. One day? Not less. So my flight out was weird. First time in the airport, people in full body suits, like painter suits. Hazmat? Yeah. Painter suits? Yeah. Like, what, I don't even know what you call Yeah, yeah. Them. Like, yeah. Tyvek suit. Yeah, Tyvek suit, exactly. Um, going through the airport, spooky, creepy, seriously eerie. And uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, San Francisco was packed. My flight to Dallas-Fort Worth was packed. My flight from Dallas to Atlanta was packed. Um, all the planes were, you know, masks. Everybody gave uh, hand sanitizer packets, like, you know, sprayed down seats, all kinds of crazy stuff. Drove up to New York, was up there for five days, then jumped, went into the belly of the beast, right, into New York City and flew out of JFK. JFK was a ghost town. There's nobody in JFK whatsoever when I went through my plane. I want to say on the entire flight, there was maybe 35 people. Wow. And everybody basically had their own row. So everybody was just kicked back in their own row, chilling. And it was a nonstop flight all the way back to San Francisco. So I left LA, at, or I left JFK at 7 in the morning, got home at 9.50 a.m. Wow. It was nice. I I canceled my weekend. I was supposed to be in the Keys this week, uh, tarpon fishing. Dude, you were telling me about that. And, dude, I just about had – I mean, to get these days in the Keys mm-hmm. is hard, really hard. You got to, like, know the dude, and then you got to hope that the <laughs> – I'm, th- I'm speaking metaphorically, but you you, you got you to hope the client dies on those days that you want so then you can slide into that spot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's basically how people give up their tarpon days. And I get slid into the 23rd, 24th, 25th. I mean, I'm thinking I'm going to give these days to my grandkids. Like, I'm in. I'm finally in. And this year I had to cancel them, man, because it was like 40 hours of travel to get to Florida. And then that – I'll talk about the belly of the beast, man. Miami, Dade County right now. Is that the, is that the hot spot? Really? I, I don't know. I feel like – I feel like it, it's one of them there. You know, Florida and, and Arizona right now are pretty gnarly, mm-hmm. pretty gnarly. But, um, yeah, anyways, I, I, not going to Florida, not getting to do a lot of fun stuff this year. Hopefully we have our hunting seasons. You know, I know you spend a lot of time um, out of state, out of state, out of country, going mm-hmm. you know, B.C. B.C. is my B.C. trip. I was supposed to be there for 40 days this year, and I got shut the fuck down. And so, and I also, we just had a, um, Allie's cousin just came through here. They were driving from Florida to Alaska. Her husband's an F-22 Raptor pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, he had they had the tow behind trailer, then they had another one for his balls, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're so big. Yes, yeah, such a stud. Um, yeah, super nice guy just, too. We're but gonna yeah. just side note really quick. Anybody <laughs> who's a, a Raptor pilot 
has balls the size of fucking the country. But, yes, you need a, a double axle trailer to pull. <laughs> Especially a distance from Florida to Alaska. Fuck, but man. he had a he had NATO clearance to get through, and they still yeah. only gave him twenty four hours to get through the Yukon. And you know, that's a, I did that drive a, when I was twenty one. Yep, it's a super. Oh, dude, the Yukon's massive. Yeah, I mean, going from upper B, you know, the upper level of BC to through Yukon into like Toke, Alaska, you're looking at like at least twelve hours. Mm-hmm. It's got to be. Anyways, he didn't have much of a window. And, Basically, you know, just trying to haul ass through uh, through the Yukon, and Canada's not messing around, man. They're like, stay out. Um, I I don't know. Everyone's kind of looking at New Zealand like you guys are brilliant. So they don't have any COVID right now. Yeah. New did Zealand they at all? Zero. They never did though. I mean, they did. They did. They did. Um, and they just quarantined hard. Really? And they locked down, and they're like, you know, I think they shut down incoming flights, or maybe the I don't know if there was a special type of quarantine. But, yeah, they locked it up, man. And they don't have any cases right now. That's crazy. Which is wild. Yeah. yeah. Kiwis, man. Yeah. You know, everyone Good listening people. to this podcast is like, are these guys even going to talk about hunting? Or, or what the fuck? Uh, no, we've why, kind did of Andy, been on... why did Andy put this guy on? Who no, is but it's cat? okay. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good, dude. So you do a lot of photography. Yes. I... And you've been doing a lot of photography yeah. since before it was the cool thing to do. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, so I worked... I worked for photographers before I think before we would c- could consider that social media has taken over the grasp it has on it now. Uh-huh. These guys were doing print photography. I uh, started with like Dale Spartus. He's a, a local legend here in Bozeman. I mean, the guy on a, as far as shooting 35 millimeter print. I mean, he rocked it on Upland Bird and some big game, but a lot of tarpon, a lot of saltwater fishing back in the day. How cool uh, is Kathy that? Kathy and Barry Beck era, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of where I got my start. And I remember I would do like a... What was his name? Dale Spartus. I'm going to ask my uncle if he knows him. I'm sure he does. Dale Dale's the man. Um, he's a, he, he didn't transfer to the digital world as, as fast as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And he was proud of his print. And I get it, man. I get that. He's that was like, my hardest thing with photography was, was I never wanted to leave film. It it uh, I stopped shooting film in oh six, oh seven, and I never wanted to go digital until fifteen. It's just really really hard to compete with people that are on the digital scale, right? Like they can edit and they can siphon and they can blast photos, they can burst. You can't do that with film without costing a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's no different than the model of the the one the the first time an American company went over to China to have something made, right? Yeah. I can't compete against this price. So everyone else just has to jump on board, and digital photography, I think, is relatable in that sense. And basically, he didn't. He it's didn't, a good analogy. He was he was proud of his film, and he should be. He's excellent, and I have some of my. I got a couple of books in the house. You should check them out before you leave. Um, of Dale's, started working for him. I was just basically helping him with changing out lenses, and I also did a bunch of modeling, getting in front of the camera for him. Um, and I remember him just trading me. He. The concept of paying somebody, like I didn't know. I'm too young to know what you charge somebody to do that. I'm just happy to be there. He's like, dude, we're going to go fish a private spring creek in a pond. You're going to throw a fly rod, catch a bunch of trout. I'll take a couple photos. I'm like, that's it. Like, win, win. <laughs> I'm in. Fair trade. Yeah. You know what I didn't think about anything as far as uh, compensation. And, and I was too young to really 
even ask anyways. I feel like I was. Like, I was just honored to be there. And I was happy with the trade. But he, he would eventually start paying me because I started asking him, you know, like, hey, man, you think you can, like, you know, let me throw me a little bit of money for doing this stuff? We're doing it quite often. He's like, tell you what, I got some great duck decoys. I'm going to give you a bag of duck decoys. And so, <laughs> dude, like, I got all sorts of Dale Sparta's trinkets around the house of him just giving me stuff and trade for, I don't know what he was getting paid to get for those photos, but and I don't, I don't want to know. Make me cry, but um, it started there, and then I worked. I did the same thing with Brian. <laughs> Got a good bag of duck decoys. <laughs> and I mean, they were so shot up that half of them like sunk in the water. Yeah. And then you know, like maybe half of it was like black, and the other half was like a mallard on the other side. So you really didn't know what it was. And he's like, "Oh, they work great, low light, wonderful. It's silhouettes. They're silhouettes, <laughs> you know." But as soon as the sun got to like even barely off the horizon, every duck in the world would flare on this thing. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, you might want to shoot three and a half when you use these. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> and then I started working for another photographer here in town who um, is still to this day one of my favorite photographers, lifestyle photography anyways. He's phenomenal. Brian Grissenbacher. Uh, he worked, he was Sims, Sims photographer for a long time, contract shooter. And we did a bunch of work for Orvis too. And again, just like Dale, we went on some amazing trips in trade. And... I got to travel the world and sh get in front of a camera and, and catch fish, the fish that I never f caught before, that I couldn't afford to go bone fishing or tarpon fishing. I've been How to Campeche, I've been to Panama, Costa Rica, the Bahamas, all over the place. And um, what were we saying, bonefish? Yeah, how many bonefish have you caught? Oh, dude, I never counted. I mean, I, I, that's so cool. I don't count after the first one, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, that I really want to get into some serious saltwater fly fishing. That just looks like so much fun. It is. I mean, if you... If you appreciate hunting and stalking, spot and stalking, you're going to love saltwater well, fly fishing. I appreciate fishing. the tropical water, too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Me, too. I, I love it. I, you know, I'm, I'm a big tarpon fan. They jump. Um, they all have personalities. Not to say the bonefish and permit don't, but I've been on a couple successful permit trips, and I feel like I'm so dumb lucky about catching what I caught that I should just end it there. Um, they can be a pretty frustrating fish. Really? Yeah, for sure. But I got to travel around a lot, around a lot with Brian, and that kind of he inspired me to really do what, uh, what to get into photography because I saw what he was doing, and I'm like, dude, this is this is wonderful. So I I pick up a camera, I start shooting it. What I was start, your first camera? It was a Canon Rebel. Nice. Ti. It was old. I think. Oh man, two, the kit camera that you yes, used to be able yeah, to get with a like six hundred and fifty bucks or something like yes, that. Yes, with a kit lens. I remember when that Canon came out. Absolutely. Yeah. Big bulky thing. Yeah. Um, but for the time, it was revolutionary. Revolutionary. Yeah. For the price, you couldn't go wrong. Came with a screen that was like a quarter inch big, quarter inch by quarter inch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think I got a good image. Uh, dude, I have memory cards that were that are um, 256 megabytes. Mm -hmm. How's that feel? You can't even shoot one photo <laughs> on my Sony with that. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> That's how far it's coming so fast. Yeah. Know? That's the scary thing about photography is like, you know, the A7R4 just came out and what's next? Yeah. What's what's next? Because yeah, they got it. Trust me. They got they got it all the way. It. No, dude, they They've got they got it. the next 10 years lined out. They're yeah. just slowly you know, giving you a drip of what's to come. <sighs> yep. Painful. So you were working for him. You picked up your first camera. And yeah. Then I started showing him some photos and... um he really liked some of them. You know, I remember him, I started shooting off of a tripod with a wireless remote and shooting some 
straight downward angles on things and um just giving it this really cool perspective on like releasing a trout or a fish jumping or throwing a cast net and i remember brian being like how did you get that photo and, you know i told him of course it's my mentor i'm gonna tell him how i did it and he's like man that's really inspiring you know and i remember him those kind of comments were what gave me the confidence to be like, all right, this guy thinks I'm good, and I know he's good, yeah. so I'm going to go with it for a little bit. I was dating a gal at the time. It was oh, – it's such a – I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the world. She appreciates and understands what I'm passionate about. I feel like I've dated some gals before that they love that you're independent and you're passionate, but after a while, that becomes their competition. Yep. And you end up spending a lot of time competing with that Isn't passion. Isn't most heartbreaking shit on the planet when abs- that happens? Dude, especially once you fall in love. Yeah, then you're really, in a, you know. And then they start trying to make you choose between them and, and your passion, and you're like, are you fucking kidding me? And that's where I was with this gal. And um, Almost but- every relationship I've been in with a female, that is exactly how it's ended up. At the end of it has been they are getting upset and jealous and angry over me living my passion instead of in the beginning they're supportive it's what they love the most about me yep and then in, at the end it's too much and they can't deal with it well good, good on you for just continuing to move forward <laughs> you know yeah. don't, don't lock up don't lock that up yeah um because they're out there man i mean my my old lady's a testament. You met Allie. She's, she's great. She's not like she's not yeah. putting makes on a, a hell show of a for pizza you. too. Absolutely, she's a great cook. Yeah. Don't tell her I said that. She'll like you know. I know she's never gonna listen to this. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or she'll get five minutes into it and be like, "What are Fuck they talking these about? Guys. <laughs> <laughs> these guys are idiots." Uh, this is. <laughs> Anyways, um, going back to uh, this gal, you know, she. Basically, I didn't have my opportunity to really push on photography until we broke up. Then I went for broke, and I spent the winter that year traveling New Zealand. I traveled around with a, a buddy of mine that was d- kind of in the same boat without the girl situation. He's just feeling nomadic. We went to New Zealand. We traveled around, bought a van. Uh, he's an incredible surfer. I called Bart Bonino over at uh, Patagonia and convinced him to send me enough gear to, like, speculatively shoot some Patagonia gear. And... Um, Went over there and shot a bunch of fly fishing and surfing photos and came back. And even though he didn't print any of those images, that was kind of the portfolio of images that I used to kind of move myself forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Instagram had just come on the scene. I think probably Beyonce at that time had like maybe 5,000 followers. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, It just come on the scene. So started there. And um, ever since then, in a position where I worked for Matthews Archery now for four years and sick of gear been shooting some photos for those guys for four years now um about the same amount of time maybe three years now mm-hmm. it's been a good run man i've enjoyed my pro the process of it um do i want to be in the spot forever no i don't to be mm-hmm. honest with you what would be your ideal photography career hmm. outside of the hunting space for the times that i've shot photos for lodges um and i've gone on a number of them mm-hmm. i've done some south american tours where i've gone for like i've done like uh 10 lodges and spent a couple months doing them and building up just a a collection of images that helps them promote themselves and for clients just to sit around and like look back through them and it's it's they're not even the anglers in the photos right it's the next year's clients that are going to see the book but building those up and and kind of building that memory for the lodge i would love to do that for individual people i'd love to do that for lodges i'd love to do that for families with their kids 
you know like basically you're hired as a personal photographer to to build a memory that lasts yeah. with somebody because that's what that's what photography that's what's so wonderful about photography over film you know what i mean it kind of sets a pinnacle moment in time where you kind of got to daydream what happened before and you definitely have to daydream where it's going yeah. and i love that about photography not to get all those you know jack handy deep thoughts on it <laughs> but I well mean, the capture man yeah 100 yep. percent. the capture yep. is so videos are great you know and it was yep. just father's day i went back and looked at a a video I put together of me and my dad hunting out here and uh, it's nice to go back and rewatch it but I wish I wish I had a camera I wish I had a good camera and a good lens on that entire hunt right because to have those photographs would be and my for me just because I I'm I'm more enjoy photos than a lot of film would be so much better to have a tabletop book of that entire hunt yes with me and my dad would be you can't put a price tag on that totally i know? think in the photos appreciate over time and you don't at first when you come back from a hunt like you and i met on this mule deer hunt that we'll get to at some point guys I promise <laughs> but like the you know at the moment i'm like whether you take photos or not i'll never forget this and today being a year almost a year later I'm going to appreciate those photos so much more because you took them and took the time to do that because I can you start to forget the little the little tiny idiocracies of the day you yeah. know what I mean little tiny little niche parts that you're like I remember that I remember that <laughs> laugh I remember what we're laughing about in this joke mm -hmm. even though no one else will um, <laughs> you know like uh, and that and that can be done it can be done in small fragments as a video but Photography, I don't know what it is about it. I think you, you just you can take enough photos where you can kind of tell a storyline that you can that you personally remember. Yeah. Well, like, and I, for me, to my benefit, you know, my uncle taught me a lot about what I know about photography, which was now it's super beneficial. Right. You know, and and you know, one thing like getting to go back and look at his library, you know, and his library goes back to the '60s. You know, and, and getting to look at his photos and see all the different things that he's captured, um, you know, from whales to polar bears to, you know, you name it. And on film, dude. Uh, well, on film. Yeah. 30, yeah, on 35 millimeter and like, I, you know, like running reels on cameras. Mm -hmm. Like not many people these days understand the amount of patience and time is in, and money that's invested in film photography. Oh, yeah. To know, you have to know your camera inside. And there's some principles of photography that are going to stay true, that have been true since he started, and they yeah. are true today. Still true. Yes. But pulling that trigger and being, like, knowing, having the confidence to do it, and then to come back with a 35-shot roll and know that you got, and if he's doing well, 14 baller shots in there. Mm -hmm. Um that that's really really hard hard to do and it takes a lot of time and really well, it takes a lot of like i can't tell you how many times i shot a roll you know i'd shoot 36 shot roll and i'd shoot a roll and i would be just terrified i hope i got that image right right because you don't know until you get your proof sheet right you know right so right. crazy but i think those fundamentals teach you a lot about um patience with photography you know you have to be patient just like you're when you're hunting you know mm -hmm. what i mean don't i used to do this on all my photo shoots i used to the first day 
blast images. If I didn't have a thousand on my card, I'd be super pissed off and thinking I'm gonna <laughs> fuck the whole thing up. If I didn't have a thousand, day one. And the comparison of that to today, I'm lucky if I have ten shots day one mm-hmm. because you're still trying to feel out what's happening. What the situation? Yeah, is. what's going on here? Who's the who's the who's the character? Who's the person? Who's what 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 are they like? You know what? What are we getting trying to, to know portray the here? Yeah. Yes, getting to know that person well, and, and once understand you get to know them, you can capture them so much better behind and the image. And then you can crush, exactly, crush. Yeah. Because yeah. what are you know? You shoot the, whether you shoot a thousand or you shoot ten, you end up with maybe, you know, if you're lucky, you end up with half is, you know, five shots from the first day that you're like that on the last day. I can see fitting this portfolio mm-hmm. and um, I'm really like uh, it's just about really being patient and I think film photography the the premise of that the basics the essentials of what I know is from from film photography because mm-hmm. I shot that for quite a long time before I bought a digital you know messing around in, in what was college. your what kind of camera do you run Nikon Nikon FM too gosh dude it's uh, you know I still have it and I, I can't remember it off the top of my head yeah. But I had it in college. I took class here. I can't um, remember my first Nikon. My second one was an F2, so it was a badass camera. Awesome. I love that camera. I still have I have all my original glass from my Nikons. Really? Which was actually all my uncle's glass. Yeah. And my Nikons were all my uncle's Manual cameras. Manual aperture, all of it. Yeah, yeah. everything, 100%. Yeah. And it's, I, I have them all just on a shelf, and I, and I, I look at them every day, and I have my old... Uh, shutter release cord and nice you know like the whole deal and it's just so interesting to look back at that and then put my sony's up there and be like wow that's so that's so different yep so it wasn't different. that long ago it wasn't it really wasn't it wasn't not at all yeah photography's come a long ways and really nowadays i mean do we were just talking about this in the kitchen um you know an iphone with at point point five x wide angle it's takes an insane shot of a photo it takes an insane shot. It drives me. <laughs> I used to shoot weddings, and this drove me up. This is what retired me from weddings. I'd be up there framing some shot that I've been looking for all night long. It's money. I'm setting up for it. Some dickhead would come around the corner with his iPhone, and this is way before, obviously, wide angle, but come right over the top of my back, look at what I'm looking at, and then go, oh, yeah, that's cool. Click, Click. and then post it. Yeah. So, so the next the next day, the, you know, the bride or the groom would be like, "Did you see so and so's photo, Brett? I hope you got something like that." Yeah. And I'm like, "Dude, what are you? Are you kidding me? I was framing that up." Yeah. Ah. But the the point being is like, cameras. I I don't know if 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 when you worry about whether you know the image has noise in it, how 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 many megapixels it has, you can capture a lot of cool stuff with just an iPhone. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like we could even go on an entire hunt and make a challenge and say, let's just shoot it with an iPhone. The whole and thing. And see how well it goes. Dude, I bet you it's, I bet you it's compared. I bet you it'd be really interesting to find out how, wh- and, and show it to somebody and say, was it an iPhone or was it a Sony A7R4? Yeah. I think with the trained eye, Did they're going to know Did you end up getting an A7R4? No. No? No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Still with the A9. So there becomes a point with photography where you stop investing in gear and you actually start paying your mortgage and I'm there. You know what I mean? I can't, dude, I can't buy any more gear. I don't want to buy any more gear. If I need it, I rent it. Let's put it this way. If I'm going, if I know I'm going on a stone sheep hunt in BC, which I've never done before, I'd love to go at some point. If someone's listening and they want me to come along on the photography, um, 
Uh, yeah, I would love to come if Andy's <laughs> Andy's down with that. If, he do, if you don't ask Andy, ask me. I just want to go on the hunt, right? But if I'm going on the hunt, I would rent the gear from a wonderful website like Lenses, Lens Pro to Go yeah. or Borrow Lenses. Wonderful websites. And the gear is phenomenal, and you can rent it for a fraction. And, you know, once you know how to run a Sony, you run a Sony on any of them. Yeah, there's some little, like, there's some little niche pieces to it that are added on and features. But for the most part, if I, I'll, I'll learn that in 12 hours. Mm-hmm. I'll go through the features and, okay, this is new, this is new, but everything else is just about the same. Yeah. Um, I'll rent that gear and then take it on. But my workhorses, yeah, 16 to 35, 24 to 70. I have 35 millimeter, 1.4. Love that for product. 85 millimeter, 1.2. Great for product. And then 70 to 200 and anything above or below that, whatever that is, I rent it. Mm-hmm. And if I need a special body, I'll, I'll rent it or just try it out. Like I rented the R4 just to try it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, see how it was. Yeah, just to see how it was. Yeah. I didn't rent any video on it because I think that would have been next level for me to like, oh, I should buy this. But I guess what I'm trying to say <laughs> is you get to the point one. where you're like, dude, every time I make money, I spend it on camera gear. You know, you got to get to a point where you're paying your bills. Yeah. And that's what photography is for me. It's you know, it's it's paying my bills. It's yeah. it's a lifestyle, of course, but it's also about making sure that, you know, I'm pulling my weight here. My old lady is so, my old lady. Like I said, she's 29 years old. <laughs> my wife is pulling her weight here, so you know, I just want to pull my weight too. And you know, between being, I'm a diversified guy. Um, but you know, I work as an outfitter half the year, work as a photographer the other half of the year, get plenty of hunting in. Um, I think. The only thing I can really tell you I know about my life, what I know about life in general at 38 years old, is to try to balance all this stuff. If you're always taking the camera with you hunting and you're always looking for the angle and you're always looking for the sale as far as getting your image out there and getting some kind of notoriety or respect or getting paid for it, you will chew away at what truly makes you tick when you're out there doing it. When I go hunt for myself, I don't bring my camera. Absolutely. I bring my phone. It's a discipline that I think you only learn through time. Yep. And I've, through fly fishing, I've realized that. You know, um, 18 years this year. Uh, do I go trout fishing on my own? Rarely. But when I do, I love it, and I don't take a camera at all. Yeah. And I see some beautiful things, but I just, you know, it's just for me, just for that moment. When I go on a shoot, I take the camera. I don't fly fish. I don't hunt. Because you're, you're there You're there for to do purpose. one thing. Yep. Yeah. And I remember Ring Grossenbacher was the one that teach me that. He's like, either you fish or you shoot. Which one are you? Are you hunting or are you shooting? Because otherwise, you try to do both, you're going to end up with half-ass fishing, you know, and you're going to end up with half-ass images. And I absolutely agree with him on that. Um, and I've, I've, I've been really disciplined about that over the years. I enjoy the I enjoy the hell out of fly fishing. I enjoy the hell out of hunting, but I enjoy the hell out of photography. But you have to keep those kind of separated in their own little category to really appreciate the passion that you have behind each one of them. Yeah. Jack, handy, deep thoughts. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think you only learn that over time. Yeah. Experience in the field. Yes. And coming back with half-assed results, yep. wishing that you had better results. Yep. And then yep. realizing what the mistakes were on the way. Yep. 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 But, you know, this year is just kind of a wacky year. You know, I don't know what as far as I I wouldn't blame all these companies to just kind of pump the brakes and say, hold up, you know. Hold up. Wait a minute. That's just. Let's relook at this marketing campaign that we're doing 
across the board for social media. Not only, yes, yes. And refocus. Yes. I think a lot of them are like looking at right now, do we need this commercial space? (laughs) We all just went into quarantine. We ran at 85% efficiency on Zoom conference calls, everyone working from home. Meanwhile, we're keeping this building with utilities. Do we need to pay $25,000 a month for this one rental space? Absolutely. I think they're all looking at the entire model as a whole. But, you know, as far as getting product out there and coming out with new, uh, I don't know what the marketing budgets are going to be like. From what I hear, they're not, they're not, they're not uh, as gluttonous as they have been in the past to mm-hmm. pro- be progressive with the companies anyways. And um, I think it's a good year to be progressive if you have, if you've saved for it, but also I don't think it's a bad year to kind of just pump the brakes and just hold reassess. Up. Yeah. Reassess and just kind of look at the world's kind of on hold right now. It's kind of weird. You know, is this a new normal? Is it not? Are we going to go back to a normal? Um, it's just kind of a good year to just hold up here, you know, just ho- holding pattern a little bit. And I've, I completely understand that. And the companies I work for, you know, um, whatever they decide, which, you know, I've heard mixed reviews on what they want to do. I, I, I completely understand where they're at. You know what I mean? I'm guiding as much as I can this year. and I'm going to try to hunt too, to try to take away some of my anxiety from just this time. <laughs> because I, I think as a whole, I don't have anxiety about what's happening. But Allie and I just married, talking about having kids. Yeah. I mean, all these things run through your head when you try to, talking about having a family and I don't know if there's ever a group like the per- there's never a perfect time to have kids financially or just um, in the essence of time historical time over human mankind but I guess this definitely throws a little bit more thought into that right and so it brings we start- more to the table yeah it definitely does it definitely does it's just kind of a wacky to look year. A- for a little bit more stability too yeah we got an election coming up we yeah, have you know, COVID we have rioting looting we have protesting it's just kind of a wacky time. It's an it's a historical time to be alive. You know what I mean? It definitely is that. It is one hundred percent that. And um, you know, as far as the big picture of like whether or not there's going to be a bunch of work out there in the hunting industry to shoot photos this fall, <laughs> I'm not counting on it nearly like I have been in the past. And I understand that. So this year's just kind of maybe it's maybe it's going to be a great year if you want to look on the uh, optimistic side of it it's a great year to go you know what spend a little more time hunting with either friends or family or yourself having a good time absolutely and hopefully we're able to hopefully we're able as non-residents to go hunt each other's states i don't know if that's going to be possible man and this sure as hell not going to tell us until last minute yeah you know they don't want to cause that riff until like nope two weeks before elk season yeah you can't go over to utah to hunt if you have a tag or idaho or whatever god could you imagine I, I'm just so pissed if that happens. That's going to be a, a locked up secret until last minute. I would assume they would treat it like that. Yeah. Kind of like quarantine. It was like two weeks. No, we're going to go another two weeks. We're not going to say two months. That will drive everyone insane. Yeah. We're going to have chaos in our hands. So um, I don't know. I, I'm just crossing my fingers that, you know, this this what they want to call the the, continua- the continuation of the first wave or the start of the second wave of COVID whether that that's going and these are first world problems right dude i mean people are dying like whether we go hunting each other's states is is really small on the big scale of things but i just hope that we have the opportunity to kind of go out there and alleviate some of the stress that this year has created for ourselves yeah and who knows i don't know man there's a lot of pent up everybody needs to get outside right now like you were saying there's so many more people coming into montana yeah you know the 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 road trip the great american road trip is back is back yep and i'm seeing a you know what i'm seeing a lot more older people exercising i'm seeing a lot of them road biking i'm seeing a lot of them mountain biking i'm seeing a lot of them just out walking Mm -hmm. trying to be healthier because that's really i think one of the biggest 
one of the biggest assets we can have right now during this pandemic is living a healthy lifestyle. And that might, you know, how many that, people came out or went into this unhealthy and are coming oh, out actually healthy oh, absolutely. and maybe having addressed some serious issues that maybe they were avoiding because they were finding so many other ways to avoid it that they actually had to sit down and legitimately deal with it and figure out a way to deal with it. Yes. You yes. Know? There's a lot I think there's a lot of benefit that came out yes. for a lot of individuals that took advantage of this time appropriately. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. There's a lot of positive that are going to come out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just going to be hard to kind of see that 2020 vision hindsight 2020 until uh until later on down the road. We're living a Netflix special for sure. <laughs> you know, there's going to be all sorts of documentaries on this one. Right. So you kept talking about Utah and Utah's where you and I met. Yep. Um, Buck and I are passed out midday in his camper. <laughs> it's like On a it's loader, 140 man. degrees in there. It smells like 18 farts. And <laughs> this guy knocks on the door and we're like, yo, you no. know, and I thought it's Tyler. And it's no, you. no, 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 no. You're, you're missing it. So I pulled into camp. I walked up to the trailer. Your guys' boots are tucked underneath. And I'm like, hey, hey, is anybody here? And you guys are passed the fuck out. Yep. I peek my head in the door, and you guys are po- both passed out in the top loft. So I'm like, all right, I'm not going to wake spoon, these. Buck's little spoon. Yeah, for yep. sure. And and That's there might have so been hot. like a hand on a beard or something like that, you know. <laughs> and you don't have a beard, so you know. But so I I look around and then I'm like, well, these guys don't know me, and and we've all never met, so I'm just going to let them sleep. I yep. don't want to be that guy. Yep. So I go to my truck and I bust out my spotting scope sitting in camp and just start glassing up. And I'm sitting there, I glass up, you know, a, a nice little four by four, nothing too crazy. In the flattest, tallest sage. I didn't understand how you saw that deer because that sage there. down there is like five feet tall. You just got to look. So I glassed yep. up that and Ty comes rolling into camp. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know if these guys are here. Like they're kind of in bed. Like I just didn't want to wake anybody up. And he comes in and wakes you guys up. And then that was when I, like, popped my head around. And I was like, what's up, fuckers? <laughs> you guys are like, whoa, wait a minute. Who are you? Who's this guy? Uh, Anyways, yeah, that was that was awesome. You, you And you were like, hey, I'm in the local area doing some scouting for my father's tag. And uh, yeah. I, uh, y'all, mind, y'all mind if I hang? Can I, can yeah. I kick it with you guys can for I, a couple days? Can I hang out on this hunt? Yeah. I was like, yes, absolutely. And Let's abso- do this. So we were targeting. There was two deer to target. And I got lucky because the same tag, coveted tag, that I had, my friend Tyler had. Mm-hmm. I didn't know He Tyler. had the archery tag. He had the archery tag. Yeah. And I had come down there um, for the first time and laid eyes on Utah deer in August, uh, two days before, no, one day before archery opener. And then, of course, a couple of days past the opener. So it's that mid-August range. And I'm seeing the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. You know, we saw, I know for a fact I saw one deer, mainframe four, that was definitely in the 190s. Um, beautiful, big, giant deer. Um, and then we saw quite a few in the 70s and a bunch in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Um, even one that we thought. That was like the run of the mill. No, dude, but yeah. But it was just the <laughs> fact that the quality of animal there was on another tier that I'm used to here in Montana, we we hunt the rut here, so like nothing grows past five and a half unless it's either way hidden, but way buried back, or it's on private land. Yeah, and things just get killed around here really um, quick. Too. Th- yeah, during the especially during the rut, 
that's the that's the 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 nemesis of our t- our season here. Going back to Utah, spent some time with Tyler, wanted to see the unit, and then watch him uh, mess up a couple stalks, and um, and then basically kind of get our feet wet understanding the unit. He never hunted it either. But it was so, so ridiculously helpful having him there on that, that hunt. And he put a lot of time in on that tag. Yeah. Hats off to that kid. And and he went to a lot of different places. And he looked where we found those deer were in a, a, a nook that I don't – no one was looking in there. No. I, I really don't think a lot of people knew that those two deer Existed of that caliber – Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we ended up um, – spending the time hunting those you know during the bow season he's sending me pictures of these two bucks and this one buck is a mainframe four with eye guards monster it was like 32 or 33 inches with a hundred percent i mean if that deer we shot was 31 and 31 inches wide he dwarfed that buck that buck was i would guess 33 to 30 i mean 35 would have been a push but his g4s they were going they were digging way out there man yeah i mean that was a big no yeah he was a big deer Mm -hmm. anyways i love that mainframe look you know what i mean Um, i love typicals over typicals all day especially big typicals 100 percent. and so tyler's sending these photos for the kid doesn't have a phone scope okay so attachment to actually fix it so he's taking weird photos he's really good at it like incredibly good at it but they're shitty photos (laughs) i mean you're seeing a blob like you make out a deer because it has a white dot in the middle of it with a black dot inside that. Mm-hmm. And then all this antler in the background. It's been zoomed in and then screenshot from the zoom in. And you're kind of getting an idea of what the deer is. And a couple photos he sent, he sent a video that described both of those deer pretty well in flashes, right? But still, you don't quite understand what the non-typical is compared to you understand what this typical the buck typical is. The typical is just jaw-dropping. Yes, but the whole time, Tyler's like, listen, man, this non-typical you is just a don't understand funky it. deer. Yeah. He is really, really neat. I know that big four, that big straight four is beautiful. He's ridiculous, yada, but, yada. But you got to, I mean, it's going to be hard to decide. I'm having a hard time deciding here. And I'm thinking in my head, like, I'm not having a hard time deciding. We're going to looking for that big four. Well, when I pulled into camp and he showed me the pictures, I was like, all day you shoot that big four. That typical yep. is just not the buck. Yep. All yep. day. So we get down there the day before. Um, I, want, I only had one day. My brother got married in September, September 22nd. On, oh, no, September 20th last year unbelievable give him so much shit about that <laughs> dragging me out of montana during elk rut season um <laughs> and uh i got back i had one day to scout before we got going after that buck came down as you know and we set up and posted up where tyler thought it'd be a good spot to kind of glass from tyler was going to meet us that night that late that evening and i saw that buck i saw the non-typical and i he told me andy that this buck would run that these deer don't like the sunlight but I'd never seen anything like it. He would run his ass off from shade to shade. And as soon as he got to where he wanted, he'd stop and look a little bit, maybe feed for a second. But all these little, this little bachelor group he was running with, they were just following, they were just following the leader. Mm-hmm. And this buck ran, I mean, sprint from shade to shade. And it's like late afternoon, you know, like sun's dropping, it's getting that golden light, and he still doesn't want to stand in it. He doesn't want to be anywhere near it. Mm-hmm. And I I was impressed by that. You know, I, I've never seen that before. And I didn't see it in August before they had pressure on him. And this buck was just on another caliber of, like, intelligence. You know what I mean? 
And when he was running through those those windows, is the only time I could see that horn because he'd just go into a dense, he'd just go into a, the PJs and you couldn't see him anymore. And I, there, for the flashes I saw him, I was like, okay, now I get it. This is for sure the buck he's talking about, and that is for sure some unique horn. Yeah. That night I tell him I see him, whatever. Where's the but where's the four by four? You know, where's the big four by four? And I, you know, the next morning we set up to look for both of these deer. I set up halfway closer to this deer where I saw him. I saw him about a mile and a half. I set up about half that distance, and the boys get in their positions, and we're kind of triangulating this this zone, this four square miles. And um, all morning long we don't see either either deer. And the whole time, no, Tyler, I think Tyler did see the big non-typical. It had got past me. He was down in the, down in this bottom ravine. And um, working his way back, I never saw him. He bedded in some more PJs or some cedars or something like that. And, and Tyler, again, is like, man, this deer is incredible. Like, they just keep looking at him. He's awesome. And I, I'm trying to remember well what I saw the night before, but I can't. And I'm like, yeah, he's awesome. Let's see if we can find that 4 by 4 so we can do a little, you know, Pepsi Coca-Cola challenge and see see which box what tastes better exactly. Yeah. Um, we ended up never seeing the four by four, and the, when you showed up that night, Andy came with us mm-hmm. and shot a photo. As I you, ended up getting on that buck. You got like yes. right there, and you took a photo of it, and that was the photo that was like, "Damn, Gina!" <laughs> like we all were like just floored by it because well, i remember when i came back to camp i looked at you and i was like dude this buck is way better than that photo that yes. we've been looking at yes. like you need to see this photo yes and i showed you and you were like oh shit yes yeah and that's when that the decision was made even on day two with a muzzleloader tag and a great year to shoot a deer in utah especially in a coveted unit like that uh yeah, we last decide, year was the year for fucking utah no doubt Oh, man. And even on day two, which is hard to do sometimes, right? Like, you're like, man, we got 10 days or what do we had eight days to do it. And we're not going to look for this four by four anymore. Yeah. We're just going to shoot this deer. Um, and it, that next morning was a pretty fun hunt. I had I got some elevation. You guys got down closer to where you saw him the day before or the night before. You pick him up right away at sunrise, yeah. which is great. And I basically... Um, I had about, a, what do you say, about a mile to work into him. Yeah. And I just kept going from cedar patch to cedar patch to cedar patch, PJs, whatever, and just bouncing around. And um, we were communicating with each other. We were talking back and forth. Yeah, we all kind of had a good idea of yeah. what was going on. Yeah, yeah. And we're communicating with each other, trying to get kind of locked in where those where those deer are. And when the, the final finale showed up, and I have 400 yards between – that buck and I, that gun before I left, we dialed into, I shot it out to 550. And now what rifle was that? I can never remember that it was a Paramount. A, a Paramount? Yeah. Bargara? Yeah, CVA Paramount yeah. with a Bar- Bargara uh, rifle barrel. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Phenomenal gun. Um, heavy for good reason. Um, but, I, you know, and muzzleloader hunting is new to me. We had shot that on. We put a six-hour BDX on it, and dude, I mean, we were shooting it out to 550. Not that I want to take that. I wasn't going to take that shot anyways. But now we're at 400 yards, and I feel. And we shot that thing from 550 all the way down to 100. Yeah. And crushing. You were it feeling at confident with it. Oh, absolutely. Put yeah. we put 12 rounds through it um, the day before, and then Buck and I stopped, made sure the gun was still on, 
just just going over it the day um, the the first day we arrived, and which was the day before, or two days before, day before opener, and um, just making sure everything's dialed in, and we shot it out to 250, and just again crushing. Mm-hmm. Feeling pretty good. 400 yards in closing, and they're in that sagebrush that's as tall as they are. And you just catch pieces of them going through there. And you guys just had enough elevation to kind of give me, like, you couldn't give me the play-by-play with heads up, heads down. But, like, I basically can make out where they're at. And then I went into straight predator mode. Yeah. Took off my backpack. You were on it. Kept my shoes on and went for it. But I, but I, what I did leave behind was all my reloads. Yeah. I had a primer in my pocket, <laughs> primer cap in my pocket. I left everything back. So here we go, and we just went into straight predator mode and made a run at him, just keeping that five-foot sage. Because I us. had lost him by that point. Yeah. When yep. you started making and your stock, in, I had lost him for about 20 minutes. And they went into a wash that you couldn't see I couldn't see into, yeah. Yeah, and I could barely see him. I could just see his buddies. But I knew he was in that group. You guys had explained his buddies really well. And that's where the teamwork thing came in so handy, man. Like, to do that stuff on your own. I couldn't imagine trying to put on that stock. You would get you would have to get really lucky. So you, know, you always have to get lucky hunting, but like, I love that team aspect of it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you're you're out to lethally kill an animal. Like if you can if you can have a team and you can use communication to do it to do it the right way and to get it done, and also to alleviate the amount of pressure in a coveted area so other people can get get on with their hunts. Like, I think it, it all works in everyone's benefit. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you can communicate and get a guy killed out in day two. For the other hunters, they should be. They they might be not stoked with what animal you took out of their pie, but um, they they got to be stoked that they have less pressure on the mountain, especially right. the five of the, the four of us yahoos running around. <laughs> so run up, I get this uh, strip of cedar between us. I could see his buddies through gaps, and I worked my way up to basically this old fence post that was there. And I was gonna. I had a shooting stick with me, but I had this fence post and this buck just steps out between two big giant sagebrush giants five footers steps in between them and feeds facing to my right yeah head down i glass him now we're at i bust out the rangefinder because that's how the pd the the bdx is connected to bluetooth to your rangefinder it's going to drop a red dot wherever wherever you end up ranging they're speaking to each other. I know it's close, but I just need to make sure, right? A range of me is 125 yards. So this dot's not moving. It's like crosshairs on the shoulder and let him have it. I look through this, pull out my 10 by 42s, make sure it's the deer. He picks his head up. He doesn't look in my direction. He looks forward, chewing cud, drops his head back down. 100%, this is the buck. That's the buck. Yep. I get up onto the fence post, and it's just it's basically a T-post with barbed wire on it. I get up on the top one and make sure I don't make any noise ticking anything, no metal on metal, slide up on there, get in the scope, try not to overthink this. I think I had low power on, too. I think I set it down to, like, 6X. Um, man, it might have even been on, might have been on 4X. Really? Because I was going through all that thick coming in there and i just kept adjusting it making sure that if anything popped up if that if we jumped on that four by four and he was at close range bounding yeah i, well, I was ready to go especially with the amount of animals that were in there yes you know like and that was a tough part of that could have kicked out anything at any given time that was so overlooked lucky. or unseen so lucky we didn't bump any deer yeah. going uh, going after those bucks slide up on there get them in the crosshairs 
feeling pretty steady. You know, the barbed wire T post is is decent, um, but I, I feel uh, I've been shooting rifles my whole life. I don't feel like I'm an expert with one by any means, especially long range. But under 500 yards, I feel pretty damn good. Pretty good. Put a 22 in my hand, a 17 to a 6.5 to a 338. I feel I know how to control my breathing and squeeze the trigger. So I feel confident enough to pull this trigger, slide the safety off, click. Deer picks his head up, looking forward. He's, he's just chewing his cud like he was before, staring forward. I pull the, squeeze off the, squeeze the trigger. Click like a big whack. And I'm, I hear the hammer drop, but nothing happens. Panic mode. Dude, I mean, holy shit. My sweat has sweat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, not only that, you're, you know, within comparable range on a 200-plus-inch mule deer. That's just insane. When that hammer drops, that deer snaps his head over and looks right at me. Ugh. And now I know for sure this is the buck. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see him like stare at me. I didn't get like the ninety, yeah. both nineties. So now I'm hundred percent sure. And all I could think was like, I just got to check that primer. I think God, I had an extra primer in my pocket, and I didn't realize that I had left all my loads back at the backpack. I still not I haven't thought of that yet, which would have made me more nervous. Mm-hmm. Like you got one shot, that's it, dude. If you shoot and he misses and you miss and he's standing there, it's not happening. I rack it open. I look in there and the primer has not been hit. Now that messes with your head because you're like, yeah. so what ha- did I? So I slide it out, put it back in. He's looking at me and I'm starting to fumble a little bit. Thank God I got that bolt closed on the first try. And all I could think was just try to get, I mean, my, it, it did not hit the primer. Something happened here. Something went wrong. I don't know what it was. Maybe it wasn't it's, seated correctly. Something Who knows wasn't it, yeah. right. And I'm positive that this gun is shot accurately for me every time I've tried it. This hasn't been hit. We, we just need to, like, the primary hasn't, hasn't gone off. Let's try it again. But you know what? It messes with your confidence when you go to squeeze the trigger again. Now you're thinking, is the gun going to go off mm-hmm. when I want it to go off? Am I going to have to get the other primer in my pocket? Anyways, I get back on the buck. He's looking right at me. He's not chewing his cut anymore. He knows something's weird. I hadn't moved all that much besides, like, tipping the gun down to open the barrel, you know, to open the bolt. But I get back on him, and I just did my very best to forget that that happened, and I squeeze, and the gun goes off. That just classic whoop onto his shoulder. And I even think I got a, I got a good, pretty good look through the recoil to see that hunch in his back yeah you know the, oh and then he they jammed over the hill and um i got on the phone with you guys and was like dude i think i'm pretty i'm pretty sure we're golden i went right up the leg and smacked him right on the shoulder with 280 grains of fury <laughs> and i i'm pretty sure that buck just ran over the hill and i didn't watch him f- flop over but he was scrambling you know when they're doing the barry sanders and the and the you know and they're de- they don't know which direction to go but it looks frantic and the tail's just twitching yeah he, he, every body every body language that you ever need from an animal that's going to die I was getting it, and anyways, you guys are, you know, Tyler, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, man, let me reload. By the way, I got to go back to my backpack and get that so I can reload. And then, I, well, come back over here. Let me take a little jog over the hill and just make sure while I'm loaded 
and then uh, and then I'll holler at you guys and come over and take a look. And I didn't touch him until you guys got there. And yeah. when we picked him up, man, there was no ground shrinkage on that book, eh? Yeah, I mean. I think it was insane. Well, because when I talked to you, I was like, all right, you know, those guys were running back to go get the box and some stuff back from camp. So that was going to be an hour or so from them. So I just hiked up the fence line, and I ended up going way north. Yep. Or well, south. You, dude, I mean, for those legs of yours, you, you move pretty quick. I move fast. You do move fast. When I want to. Before I blink, you were like coming. You were, I was like, Andy, no, 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 back, back. You're like <laughs> a little yellow lab out there. He's <laughs> like, <laughs> a little bird dog. Yeah. Where are you? Where are you? Anyways, he came over, and you and I got a good look at him first, and, and then the boys drove up, and man. We didn't touch the buck, though. We didn't touch the buck. I didn't touch him. No, not no. until everybody got I just, there. I texted my wife and said, we've outdone us, ourselves for sure, 100%. Yeah. And even then, like, uh, you know, when you when you try to, like, judge an animal before you pull the trigger, we couldn't put a real solid score on him. I know you were, from the beginning, he's over 200 inches. Yeah. He's over 200 inches. And I'm like, man, I just, I have not seen enough 200 inch deer to say that's over 200 inches. Like, it's a number that you just, you're scared to say. Because it's wanna, a big number. It's a when it, it comes dude, to mule deer, a, that's a, a big number. It's like saying 400 inches on a bull elk. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you just don't say that. You kill one that's 440. You said he was 390. You just don't say it till you put the tape on him. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people have the confidence to do that. I don't have the confidence. I don't have the on confidence. Mule deer, but I'd have the confidence. I, I was I pretty confident in that one, just by looking at him. Yeah, man. So. uh yeah, we, we end up, we, you know, we get them out of there. We take them home. You took a bunch of great photos, and I really appreciate you doing that. And uh, we had a lot of laughs right there. <laughs> and I told we Tyler. Said, we were there for like three hours that day, and Ty- just like celebrating. Yes. Yeah, We so long that I was like, we got to get them cut. Let's yeah. cut them. Yeah. Anyways, we get them all chopped up. And and I remember Tyler, you know, he's just like, he's like, I can't believe you wanted to look for something else. I was like, I just need to see the other buck. And then we could have said, yeah, would you, do you want non-typical? Do you want typical? Yeah. Like, it's nice to have options, right? And, like, all I ever saw was the video of that other deer. That other deer. And as shitty of photos as he takes when he doesn't have a uh, phone scope, I thought, man, this deer, like, night and day, right? Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping you get a photo of that 4x4. Four four, then we can really God, that would have been great. But, um. We never saw that four by four. No, we never did. Tyler did did Later. get tipped off. Yeah, that yeah. someone had seen him. Yeah. And it was during the hunt that we I think it was during the day I think it was the morning of or the night before we were planning on killing this deer. Yeah. And he didn't want to say anything because he didn't want to he knew what I was gonna say and that was well we need to find him. We need to look at him. Because mm-hmm. a big typical four by four with that much spread is really a, a mystical animal, but so is this buck that we shot, this cactus buck. Yeah. So yeah, no Frank or got a Frank, no beans. Yeah. Um, never shot a, a, a stag buck before. No nuts. No nuts. Um, interesting deer. And man, I've heard it both ways. You know, I don't know. Do they, do they lose them? Do they keep them? Did the, what do you think? Do you think this deer just kept adding on points, or do you think that? Uh, do you think he dropped them every year? I mean, what what's your thoughts on oh, that? Oh, I don't. I think that his horns were just under constant growth all the time. Constant growth, never stopped. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All the time. It might. It be, would make sense. It might be minimal growth, or it might be monumental growth, depending on the spring season and and how the feed is and right. whatever is going on. But I think it's just constantly growing. Can you imagine the stories around town? The farmers were like, in May, they're like, I see the deer early season that's got horns <laughs> and it's going to go 400 inches. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you saw that deer in like early June, you'd be like, oh my Could gosh, the new world record yeah. is going to be here by fall. Yeah. Um, 
so that was it, was it was just an interesting deer and i'm so stoked to have him don't have him back yet i can't wait to see that oh mount. me too buddy me did you too. do a I've shoulder been... mount or a full body mount i don't remember do a, like a uh, half pedestal like half, half of his body yeah. yeah um i have a great example that he's kind of doug and i you know he's he wants to get started on it, but I haven't found the form that I'm in love with yet. Yeah. So, and I'm not in a rush to mess this one up because this is a deer of a life. It's Ten lifetimes, right? Yeah, so, it's a deer of like every lifetime forever. Yes, yes. And so we're not in a rush to get it to get it all polished up, but you know, we'll, we'll get it there. And and um, I I understand that it's a deer of a lifetime, and you know whether I have no business having a deer like that in my house or I, I have every every right to have it. I'm I'm fortunate to have it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I remember going back to Tyler's house and he's like, you know, he's, I told him, I said, you know, what were we thinking? We thought that frame was maybe 160 inch frame, 150 inch frame. Do you remember that? We were having that conversation of how big this deer's frame was just, yeah. his, just his frame. And Tyler, now he's looking at it and he's touched and he's like, this deer's going to go over 220. And I'm like, you go over 215 and you can slap me in the face. <laughs> like you wind up with a wet hand and smack me as hard as you want. Yeah. It's not over 215. And, and, uh, Jared came over, official uh, Boone and Crockett scorer, and taped it out. Gross what, score. Wasn't the frame like 180? It was a 180 inch frame. That's just so frame. fucking crazy. And then I had like 46 scoreable points. No, no, no. What was the scoreable points on it? I don't remember. I want to say uh, it was 28 scoreable points on it. I want to say it was wild. It was wild. Yeah, it was wild. Um, it ended up 228 and 6 eighths. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, well, and that's a gross score. Uh, in my opinion, that's a proficient. With a, I got a ridiculous bunch of amount of mass on him, too, right? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't yeah. there, like, some insane number of mass on yes. it? Yes, yes. <sighs> I have the sheet. I, I I saved the sheet. It's in the house. I'm going to frame that. Um, it's just kind of cool to have that in, you know, all the scratching Put it on the pedestal. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And with a picture of us that, that you'll kindly probably send to me, and then yeah. I can print it and put it at the base oh, of Oh, yeah, dude. I have all of it in high res. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, whatever. It was, it was a hell of a memory, man. Just fortunate to be able to hunt Utah. It's such a rad state. Montana is a wonderful state. I wish they would. I mean. You never even posted that buck on your Instagram, huh? I stopped posting any dead animals on the. Well, no, I ha, I did one last did year with Matthews. Yep. Yeah. It was a, it was a cool story because it was last day of elk season here in Montana. Archery season ended uh, October 17th, and I killed him the last afternoon, last day. Yeah. Really nice. Mid three thirties bull, a six by seven, gorgeous bull standing next to just. I feel like I can judge elk within a couple inches, and I want to say this bull was somewhere. And I stared at him for seven days. That's why I know a lot of video of him somewhere between three sixty seven and three seventy two. That's what I was guessing. And I was just going home. I didn't nothing else to do. I was hunting by myself, so I was just sitting there, like looking at panning, looking at photos every all night <laughs> long, and like trying to do a better job of judging them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and 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 I did that for my bull too. And I was I was two inches off. Anyways, the he's staring at these bulls when I I when I had shot that bull last day of archery season. He was coming. They were I, been watching him for six days. It's a cool story because it it's it's patience pays off. I had the last seven days to hunt, and I didn't start elk hunting until I got back from that Utah hunt. My first day of elk hunting last year was October 1st, and I, I kind of like that later end of it anyways. But this late in the game, um, I was going from the 10th to the 17th. The rut is pretty much done. Now that, you know, the, it's like kind of reversed itself. Now the young bulls are back with the cows. They're all bugling still. 
they all think they got the herd, but the big bulls are just done with it. Mm-hmm. And they've gone off with each other. And I watched these two bulls hang out with each other for seven days. And on that seventh day is when I killed. But for six days, they didn't sit more than, they were never more than 20 yards apart. They bed together. They would chew cud together. They're cleaning each other. It was insane how they, these two would have fought two weeks before. Yeah. But now they're buddy buddies. And... um Clearly, the bull that I shot was a bigger-bodied, older animal than than the other bull that what I said was close to 370 bull. These, these genetics on this bull was insane. I'll show you some video of him. You and did, you did last year. He's yeah, he's you epic. Me a and this video. year, if he's alive, oh, yeah, he's gonna be a big boy. Um, anyways, they were hanging out six days. I watched them every day feet on the other side of the draw, which was private land, couldn't go there. No no, no fence line cutting us off. Nothing hesitating these bulls from coming over where I am. They just got a south wind that drew them every day, drew them to the south. And I was on the north side of this east-west facing creek bottom. And on that last day, the weather, a cold front was coming, and I was going to get a north wind. And, you know, I wasn't contemplating leaving, but I'm like, I had a little more optimism that morning, like, this might be the day that they choose to come this way if if they if it's true that they just keep following their nose every day. And they were betting within they were never going a thousand feet more than a thousand feet up the creek bottom and they were betting down. Really? I was at about two thousand feet up the creek bottom and watching them every day. They never passed me. On this last morning, they come on the north side. They come on my side about five hundred yards into the public land, coming up at me. I got so fucking excited, Andy, I left. I'm running the rim back and forth like which draw are they going to use oh my gosh I've been looking at this all week like which one am I going to go sit in Where, you know, uh, uh, thermals uh, are they switching the, uh, it's 9.30 it's 9.30 they've worked their way to about 200 yards below me I can't see them anymore because it's getting steep and dense and I just left I'm like you're going to mess this all up dude leave now grab my shit went back to camp and they were they were at a slow pace when I last saw them so I know they're looking to bed and they haven't walked past me in six days. I'm thinking they're going to bet on this face. I get back to camp. I helped a buddy. A buddy was nearby, locked himself out of his truck, uh, or locked, locked his keys in his vehicle. So we're kind of texting with each other. And I said, listen, if you help me try to find it, I'll come out and help you with the, with the truck, but give me a hand. Let's get let's back off two miles in, in glass and see if we can pick these bulls out of these, these uh, junipers. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Love to. And so we sat there for an hour. We couldn't pick them apart, man. And I was like, they're right there, you know, like right in this area. It's like, dude, I don't see anything. We both have 95s. Can't see them. They look buried up or they've moved on to something else. I stopped thinking about it. And we go over and get his, his truck unlocked. We had, he had a Toyota Tacoma and we pulled the door jam back and I took my victory shaft and stuck it inside of his, uh, the, this is sounding bad. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> this Easton axis arrow. And, Your um, victory shaft. My victory shaft inside of his Easton. <laughs> and it fit like a glove. And everyone was pleased. His Easton. It right? didn't last long. Now, yeah, it's so, yeah, we slid that down. We used, like, basically, you know, I don't know, a little, like, close to five feet of arrow and just went over to the door jam and unlocked it in, like, three seconds. It was awesome. Yeah. Big win. So he went back to his spot to hunt. I told him that I was going to go back and just do a huge loop on these animals. And and now, by now, it's noon. I go back, grab a little bit of lunch, do a massive 3,000-yard loop into these animals, making sure I got 3,000 yards between us at all times doing the loop in. Take off my boots at probably 
what I think is about 2,000 yards from him and put on my moccasins, work my way into him, glass, I'm glassing this, this finger ridge that basically splits off the two canyons, and I catch one, one movement. He just looked, he looked away from me, and he looked back. And when he looked away, the horn came out of the juniper and then went back in. And I caught it, and then I could just see the last six inches of each tine on his on his G on his Royals and his G5 and his G6 because I saw the seventh side, the seven point side. And I'm like, I got you, bro. You know, and the wind is money, money, money. money. Yeah. And so, basically, you know, basically got on Onyx and dropped a pin on where I thought he was, the best I could, anyways. And then just slowly worked my way over to the finger ridge, dropped down on him. When I got to what I thought was about 70 yards, that bull is standing up, the smaller of the two, is standing up, feeding his way up the hill towards me, and I can't see the bigger bull. And he's right on the – he. I'm on a finger ridge and down in a little goalie of 15 yards to the bottom of that, and then up on the other hill faces him. And he's walking a trail that's going to come right to me. and gets to 40 yards, and he's going to walk right over me. And I'm thinking either you shoot this bull and, and be stoked with this bull, you, the fact that you're not going to be rifle hunting this year. Or you're done for the season. Or you're done for the season. This bull's going to walk over you. He's going to wind you while you're waiting for this other bull to pop out. You don't know where he's at. I can see 60, 70 yard circle behind him, and I can't see this bull. Anyways, I um, I decide like just be just be happy with this bull. It's a good clean shot, and end up. I shoot a 515 grain arrow, um, shooting right around 285 feet per second, and I put it tight to his shoulder. A little bit of torque on my on my bow handle and shot him right in the shoulder. It blew right through there and buried on his offside shoulder. And right away, it was a great hit. I saw much penetration. I got a long arrow, you know, a 30-inch arrow, so I see, you know, 14 inches of it hanging out, but still, I can see, you know, it's buried. He runs up over the hill. I run after him, grab my quiver. I always take that off to shoot. Run up over the hill, and when I get on top of that finger ridge where I just shot him, he is doing the big, long limp down into this patch. I mean, he's struggling. Mm -hmm. I look over to my right, and at 35 yards is that 370 bull, broadside, looking at this bull like, what? what's wrong with you? <laughs> and his head stuck behind a thick piece of juniper that's like as dense as my microwave. And he can't see any piece of me. And then the only thing I can't see of this bull is his nose, his his jawline, his eyes, all the important parts. Everything else is sticking out. Out of instinct, I got tight on my string. Like, I start raining. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Calm. Like, it was just instinct, right? Like, that's the bull you've been chasing and instantly went for my rangefinder. And, like, you just don't, like, whoa, 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 dude. You just shot a bull. Out of instinct, I caught myself, and I was like, geez, you bloodthirsty. <laughs> seven days of staring at this bull. This is the, this is the goal, right? And yeah. then you're and like, all of a wait, sudden, here on, he you comes, shot a bull yeah. already. Calm down, dude. What was interesting about that whole thing is that that bull never left, like, right then. I, he caught enough movement at me. He started looking at me. He looked at that bull. That bull went in that patch and died. And I sat there for two hours and watched how that bull would react to that. And he went back to feeding, and he barked at that bull. He would go right up to him and bark at him to get him up. And he, the bull died kind of like tucked up like he died perfectly down, like just bed straight down. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and tuck your legs in and, and put your nose down, and he died perfectly. It looked like he was sleeping. And he barked and barked and barked at him. And when I finally made my moves to go down to the bull, 
that big bull stood at 40 yards and stomped and barked at me and stomped until dark. I was already done taking any personal photo. Yeah. And I was starting to cut him up. And this bull, not not cutting him up yet, but just about to, to break out knives. And this bull's at 40 yards just stomping at me. It was impressive. Like, he was... He was still trying to get his buddy up. Like, we need to go, man. Get what out. What do you do? Get up. Let's go. Cops Let's go. Cops are here. Cops are yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I I, was surprised that he would tolerate He would tolerate me to that. For, That's out of, crazy. Out of just kind of defense for his buddy. What a surreal time, dude. Yeah, it was pretty. The experience of that. It's uh, just, I mean, I've been around. I've shot bucks and had the other bucks that that buck was with, you know, be within 20 yards of me the entire time, you know, from cutting it up to packing it out right. and starting to pack out and the bucks just stay there and watch the right. whole time and that's like so uncomfortable I couldn't imagine with a monster bull just staring at me the whole time like that's my buddy what are you doing yep yep I mean and, and even after I had taken the first load out I could hear him at three, 400 yards barking and still barking at me that's he was so upset crazy. That was the best. I mean, They're I best friends, happened. man. I hope that, that happens like you again Buck. this year. I hope I shoot one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Buck's a great. I mean, I hope people that are out there listening to this can realize. I hope they have friends like like I got. I got you and Buck, Buck. have had some amazing experiences yes. hunting together. Hopefully, that guy's got the worst luck for tags. He can't draw anything, dude. One day he's going to draw that sheep tag, and there's your sheep hunt. Hey, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I hope so. I owe him a couple of them, definitely. He loves going on the adventures. He loves, I think he really likes the adventure of going to other states and, and kind of learning from scratch if we can. Or we have, sometimes we have friends like we had last year to help us with them. But I don't know, man. It just helps you grow so much. You know that from just getting out of California and coming over here yeah. to hunt. And, man, you learn a lot by hunting different territory. Yeah, well, I mean, my family's been hunting out here since 1986. So right. We've been in the area for a bit. Right. You've been, yeah, you've seen, you've seen a lot of change. A lot of change out yeah. here for sure. Yeah. You know. Well that that area of, of Montana has been impacted by wolves, I would say yeah. in a large, large way. Yeah. And so is the you know, the Taylor Fork drainage in the Big Sky area, um, the gravelies, the snow crests. Yeah. It's all changed with predation, like grizzly bears too. But man, like down there immigrant like immigrant to eight mile to Tom Minor to Gardner, Geraldine. Mm-hmm. When I first moved here, Tom that, that was a beautiful the jam, country, dude. man. That was Tom the jam. major beautiful country. I love that. I want to say when I moved here in 1999, there was 18,000 elk in Yellowstone National Park, and right now they're saying it's right around 3,500. 3,500. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which... I, you know, with the plus comes the minuses, but with the minuses come the plus, and you know, there's oh, yeah. more beavers, and the, you know, there's all Everything. sorts of benefits that happen to this kind of stuff. But it's changed quite a bit, man. And that's the one thing. That's the only thing I know about my elk hunting here in Montana. Don't fall in love with any particular hunt scenario or spot because it will change. And sometimes it gets better, and sometimes it gets worse. <laughs> and you just got to constantly be looking for the next. What's the next stage? What's the next tier of it? Yeah, where's the next place to go? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right. Well, and as hunters too, I mean, got to be able to evolve and adapt and find new area. And you know, like you were saying, going out of state, you and Buck, and just find a new area, getting to be able to learn it, understand it, and then you well, know, execute a proper hunt in it. And that's the adventure that I, I I'm, I, I'm more into that these days than I ever am into killing big animals. But of course, I want to kill every, big animals yeah. every time I go. But it's special. I that appreciate you don't. the fact that you call it killing instead of harvesting. There's no harvest involved. 
Yeah. You're you're killing an animal. Yeah. I guess, I guess you guess the maybe you could consider it harvesting the meat once you've killed the animal, but yeah, you're harvesting uh, the meat off the, the carcass. <laughs> exactly. You're harvesting yeah, exactly. Just like off pulling of a, a off of a killed carcass. Let's right. you know. Right. Right. I think that's very important. People I think watering down that message is I I understand it coming coming from California. I understand why people are watering it down. Um, but at the same time, if you want to tell somebody, because not majority of new people that are in California that are getting into hunting are getting into archery hunting. And those guys are getting into archery hunting. And if they're going into it with this mentality that they're going to harvest a fucking animal and they make a bad bow shot on a deer or an elk and they see the suffering that goes on behind a bad bow shot. Yep. Um, they're going to learn real quick that it's killing and it's not harvesting, you know. And, and it's and ugly. It can be very ugly. It can be dramatic. Yeah, very 100, traumatic. 100%. Yep. You know what I mean? And and that is important that people do realize that it is killing and it is taking a life. And it's not just, a, you know, I'm not going out to the field and harvesting some wheat. Right. Um, right. And taking the time to really, like, understand, you know, the process of cleaning an animal and getting it off the mountain in a, a timely, timely fashion. Timely fashion, man. not spoiling uh, meat. Dude, I, I got buddies that done, they had the, they did the mobile meats. Buck was one of them. Uh, did mobile meats here in Bozeman. They drive right up to your house and take care of your stuff. And the stories they would tell me of, like, you know, they'd be cutting up some guy's cow elk, and then they go to put it in the fridge, and the guys, they're like, there's no room here. Like, there's a bull from 2016, and... You got one from 17 and a mule deer from this year. <laughs> Where do you want us to put that? Like, are you not eating these animals, dude? Yeah. Do you understand the responsibility you have that if you kill it, you got to eat it a lot? You know what I mean? To go through one elk in a year, it takes some dedication. You got to eat it many times a week. Like, I would say it would be safe to say three days a week yeah. if you're going to get through a bull, a bull elk. Cow elk might be a little bit different. And it also depends on how many people you have in your family. Allie and I, we have no kids. It's just her and I. We got wild game coming out of our ears because we eat it all the time. Yep. But that's just kind of our responsibility. You know what I mean? She caught me two years ago, and I, I love my wife for this. We, you know, we had, I had killed a bull. She had killed a bull. Um, I killed a mule deer. And she had a mule deer tag. And it's like, it's like perfect weather. It's like uh, it's, we had three days before um, Thanksgiving. I'm like, yeah, let's go into my mule deer spot. It's going to be awesome. It's just the perfect cold front. Everything's perfect. She's like, why? Like, what are we going to do with it? You know, like, we got enough meat. Is it wins enough? And though I selfishly wanted to go hunting, I understood exactly what she meant about killing something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We don't need it. There's, there's just, we don't, we don't need it. And I appreciate her, her value for that or her understanding for that because sometimes we get a little blinded by how engaged we are in, in just the challenge of hunting itself. Because that's put it, I mean, uh, killing isn't easy all the time, but we enjoy it. Just mm-hmm. say it. Like, just admit it. It mm-hmm. just, that's part of it. Hunters, yeah, absolutely. Part of the hunting is is the, the thrill of taking an animal's life, yeah. of you being in that control position. Also the thrill of, like, just beating them at their own game. But 
Well, I mean, and like you said, it. the challenge because there's so much more wrapped up in a hunt than 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 just the kill. Because there's that seven days you spent scouting that bull and watching that bull yes. and knowing that that bull is not going to go down that drainage, yes. or knowing that they're only going in the direction of the wind on you know whatever time of day, and they're making their move and they're not moving more than really a thousand feet. Right. You know. So there's so the challenge of the challenge in mastering that is also wrapped up in the kill. Totally. You know, there's totally. like you said, beating them at their own game. Yep. You know, and, and playing our own role and in as nature. We, and as we get better at that, it becomes kind of a little bit of an obsession of drug there with that, right? 100%. You want to do it more and you want to do it more and you want to do it more, but don't get away from the idea that when is enough is, is en enough is enough. Like enough meat, enough success is enough. Yeah. To appreciate that people, or step it up to another level and say, I want to kill him with a bow. Or I want to kill him with a recurve now because I'm getting pretty damn good at this compound thing. I want to do a recurve. Yeah, and people give me shit because I kill two California deer and then I kill a, you know an out-of-state deer and then I kill a different out-of-state deer and then I kill a bull. And people are like, wait a minute, when when is enough enough? I mean, obviously for me, I, I seriously am hunting for hindquarters all the time. Uh, yeah, the sun is killing everything. <laughs> I'm seriously, you know, I mean, it. The more hindquarters I have, the better I feel. You know, I, I like to come out of any season with 12 to 16 hindquarters just because that's how many barbecues I plan on right, having right. to feed everybody all this amazing wild game. But, yeah, dude, it's when is enough enough? Who knows? How do you put, even put a judge on that, too, you know? <sighs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's it's all, you know, to each his own. Mm -hmm. But to promote that, you know, especially with new people coming into it, you know, you, you know, kill what you can eat. Yeah. First and foremost. Yeah. And then if, if you're getting really good at that, then step up your game a little bit, you know. And change and, your and, weapon of choice. And, yeah, or, you know, if people want a dog trophy, honey, that's all bullshit anyways. But, like, step up your game. Like, you know, if you start pursuing a bigger, older age class animal. Mm -hmm. And if you're good at cooking, you'll, you will. And if you're good at, if you're good at um, preparing the meat from the processing it from the point it hits the ground to, to the dinner table, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what age it is, dude. You, man, we've cooked the most rank stuff. My ibex was like the best, some of the best meat we had all year. And you drew ibex back to back. Yes. Two years in a row. Were yeah. you using an outfitter? No, I drew an outfit. I drew under an outfitter the second time. Okay, because mm -hmm. that increases your odds from like three percent to like thirty-three percent, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah. And New Mexico has caught on to the pe the fact that people do that, and now they require that they're with the outfitter. I believe on the hunt seventy-two hours. I want to say. Or oh, really? It's at least forty-eight. I know it was forty-eight when I was there, and now I think it's doubled, or at least added another day to it. Because um, that's I think like the F the Floridian Mountains, right? Florida Mountains. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, which makes me think I've been I've been pronouncing Florida wrong my entire life. <laughs> you know, like it. what do you, what, it's spelled the same. What are you talking, Florida? So Isn't I, it Florida? <laughs> Wait, what? Right. Oh, right, it's not right, shit. Right. That's it. It's a, a fun hunt. I got a buddy that drew that tag again this year. Really? Are you yeah. going back down there with him? I'm going to go in January. Yep. How cool, yep. man. I love that experience. I love that town of Deming. I like the food there. I like the people. Um, I, I like the experience. I like the mountain. So, what is it hunting? What's it like hunting an ibex in America? I don't know what it, in comparison. I wouldn't know. Right? Yeah. But, oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would like to do another ibex hunt. I I like that you're able to do it on your terms, right? Some of the things that scare me on international hunts is that you're locked to an outfitter's game plan all the time. Mm -hmm. So, I think if I was ever to go on an ibex hunt, I would want to 
find an outfitter. To of course that out though, for sure. That was willing to be like, that's where you know, that's work together to to accomplish your goal. Yeah. And not be like, this is how it's done. Oh, you're with a bow. Usually we kill him with a rifle, and we like that because it's done in three days. You know, I want the guy that's like, you want to do it with a bow? It might take eight to ten days, but I'm down to do it, and let's do it together. Yeah. That would be. Um, that's going to take some processing to find that person or some filtering to find that person that wants to do it that way. I feel from these stories that I've heard, because I've done a lot of research on, on Mid-Asian international. Ibex yeah, would be I'm, my ideal. Yes, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, but, and that's, that's definitely in the making. I think I'll do that long before. I mean, I put in for sheep tags all the time, man, especially raffles. I know that's a bad investment, but hey dude you're not gonna get it draw. if you don't try somebody's gotta draw it absolutely and the odds of winning that's way better than winning the lotto so it, absolutely you're drawing against a lot less people totally totally and i've gotten lucky on some draws already I yeah mean, drawing the ibex tag twice in one year was yeah. insanely drawing bad. that utah tag that insanely utah tag. bad yeah yeah drawing any i mean the last four tags i've drawn a really the second best idaho mule deer tag in the state and that was the first time trying in Idaho. Just dumb shit luck. Yeah. It has to, but it happens, right? And people get lucky. Unless your name's Buck Reese, then you don't get any tags. <laughs> Dude, homeboy could put he could put his ticket in with yours. Nine out of ten times you draw. Yeah. I mean, he's fifty even on a fifty-fifty. Yeah. He couldn't even get a paddle ta- a paddle fishing tag here in the state this year. I mean, it's it's terrible. I've drawn so I party apply with him in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. I've drawn every year that I haven't ever put in with him. <laughs> He hates life, man. He's so angry. I just don't no, touch that. He's, he's the happiest guy on the app. planet. He is. He really is. He's such a great person. Yeah, he's excited to. Uh, he wants to go. We both want to eat. Uh, uh, you know, we want to have a cookout. We want to eat one of your flip flop. We got to do that. Meals. Yeah, let's I mean, set that shit up, man. That'd let's be do fun. It. I, I, I got to try it. You know, I've heard awesome things, and of course, heard you talk. Heard you talk about it. And Buck's a huge cook. He loves. He loves it. Yeah. So we just got to make it happen. We yeah. might have to. We'll make sure that we. Tell you what, we're gonna keep a couple quarters off to the side this year. And oh man, I'm sure if you guys wanted to do, if you had a, if you had a little summer party this year or something up here before season started, we could set something up for, you know, right at on. some point in August. Could you do it like on that. that right there? No, I'd have to bring my birch barrel. Yep. To do it. So the birch barrel is big enough to do it. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not. Uh, I'll find out if it's big enough to do an elk leg here coming up in July. Yep. Um, I'll be really interested to see how well that goes over. And if, if the barrel can handle the weight, I think yep. it can. Because um, I'll be doing an elk leg. Um, Here in Montana? No, no, down in Southern California. Okay. Um, down in Santa Monica, believe it or not, which will be really interesting. Um, but that should be a good time, and uh, I'm interested to see how well the barrel fares. I bet it's going to be great. With, you know, a 50-pound slab of meat, and if it even fits, you know. Right. Do you need full enclosed? No, not at all, man. You, because uh, so it, it's so funny to so many people. You know, like I cook for uh, the Asian chef Jet Tilla, and I cook these guys dinner, and um, they look at me crazy because dinner's ready and on their plate, and then I pull out a raw ten-pound blacktail leg from California, and they look at me and they're like, "What?" Like, they're sizing up this leg, like, 10 pounds, man, 15, 20 minutes a pound. Like, why is dinner cooked? We're not eating for another three hours, right? And when I I looked at him and I was like, just give me five minutes. Just, that's all I need is five minutes. And they look at me crazy. And 
jaw kind of falls through the floor. Throw the meat on the grill, and they're sitting there eating their baked potatoes. And then, you know, my knife blade is put over their plate, and I flop a piece of meat on their plate. And they look up at me, and they're like, what just happened? Right. Jaws through the floor, and these are iron celebrity chefs, you know, like TV chefs. And they're just looking at me cook this leg. And they have just absolute, you know, in awe of how it's been done and cooked. And, you know, it's it's a... That's awesome. It only takes five minutes. What I love that... Is what I'm getting at. It only takes five minutes to cook. I love that it's not something that you learned or you, like, obsessed about or anything like that from somebody besides your grandfather. I think it's really cool that... Tradition. Yeah, and I think... And it's forged in West Marin. You know what I mean? It's, 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 you know, it's, it's you know been been done and passed along through you know years of family tradition yes. and cooking around you know for large groups of people and West Marin and all the West Marin ranching community and everybody out there all getting together and doing it at all the different local deer clubs 50s 60s 70s yeah. you know I love that and that's really cool you know man. just I mean seriously just forged in family fire of every of all of the families all the original families of West Marin and all that and the hunting community that's right it's really really neat to have that that's that's the my favorite part of the whole story and I haven't even had a piece of the meat yet. <laughs> yeah and yeah it's really cool it's pretty Grandpa Al. Yeah. yeah yeah big Al big Al big Al Giddings dude he was a good man um I was uh yeah I'll tell that story I was just this week my buddy Dan and this is a guy who I met through Instagram you know he's a firefighter great guy dude 100 percent um real deal solid human being and really respectful nice you know like I said, he's just a great guy, and we always cross paths and run into each other. And he was going out to West Coast archery the other day, and he hit me up, and he's like, "Hey, man, I'm going to West Coast, like, you know." And I was like, "Boom! Here's my address. Show up at my house when you're done. You know, I'll cook you lunch, whatever. Come over." And he hits me back, and he's like, "Hey, I'm leaving West Coast. I'm going to pick up my buddy. Let's just go to a restaurant." And I'm like, "All right, here's a good restaurant by my house, and uh, meet me there." I go over there, I get a table. First time I've eaten out in Petaluma in fucking four months, right? And this guy sits down across the table from me, and we're all talking, and Dan's bringing up. I'd just gotten back from New York, so he's asking me about New York. And the guy across the table is like, oh, yeah, you know, the old the old Sonoma County flip-flop. And I was like, yeah, West, you know, like West Marin, Sonoma County, like the whole deal. And he looks at me, and I'm like, yeah, my grandfather was kind of the guy who you know, it was one of the main guys who took it all all around all the ranches of West Marin and kind of showed and, and, and brought it to life. And, you know, at least how it's been told to me through people that are not my family, you know, so it's, it's not my family who's telling me the legacy. It's, it's other individuals who are telling me the legacy who experienced it because he was the game warden and uh, my grandfather was a game warden. And this guy looks at me kind of half cocked and crazy. And he's like, you know, he's about to call bullshit on me. And he's like, who's your grandfather? And I was like, well, Al Giddings. And literally, like, he almost welled up with tears. He got goosebumps head to toe on his body. And he's like, I have goosebumps at the mention of that name. And uh, just right now, like, I'm I'm welling up remembering his reaction to it that's awesome i have sunglasses so you can't see (laughs) and and he was like that's one of the greatest men i ever knew in my entire life that's awesome you know and and 
What an impact to make. You, you hope that one person in the world will say that about you when you're gone. Man, Because that's the shit that matters. That's amazing. That's what, yeah, that's man. That's really cool. Yeah, dude. And, and, you know, that was the type of person my grandfather was, and that was the legacy and the impact that he left, you know. And, and sure, it was small and in Marin County and yeah. West Marin. And Were you around long enough to meet him? In I did. Yeah. I did. I got So I, I knew my grandfather fairly well. I mean, only how well can you get to know your grandparents? He died by the time I was in eighth grade i think seventh eighth grade um 1998 so i was 13 years old and and uh that was actually for me when my when i really took a dive off the deep end with partying and you know all that kind of stuff was right around his death um i think that impacted me a lot more than i gave it credit for um for my teenage years right. and the decisions that i made after his death right um just not knowing how to cope with it or or deal with it is that when you moved to Reno and started male strip dancing? Um, no, that was Las Vegas. Where I was, no, I'm just <laughs> I had this like weird area where everybody always just questions, what did I do in that time uh, of my life? You started off in Vegas, then you went over to Fort Lauderdale. You were yeah. there for a while. Yeah, Naples, Chippendales. Yeah. Then Atlanta for a hot second. Yeah. Ashland, New, New. Yeah. Yeah. You were in Ashland, uh, North Carolina, for a little while, and then, yeah. and then came on back. Yeah, know. Charlotte. That's a hell of a circuit. Yeah, dude. But then you got, that's all behind you now. Some good money it's, years, though. You know what? I mean, what do they call you? They call you Mr. Sunshine, right? You give all the girls sunglasses they call, and stuff like that? They call me the long swordsman. <laughs> self It's a really good, no, no. That's somebody else gave me that name, and I'm not going to say who, but <laughs> this is, it's a long inside joke that we don't need to go into the details. Well, I think we got the details, actually. <laughs> I think you, you laid enough out there for us. <laughs> Well, that got really interesting. No, really if you quick. said you're, I never was a stripper. The... We're going to be clear on that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It was Los just Angeles film just industry. Light, sure, I was around that for moment. a while. Yeah, <laughs> lighten up the moment for a little. No, yeah. no, no. I know. I'm, yeah, but uh, yeah, man. Like you said, dude. To imagine, um, so kindness is huge, right? And and being kind and and that's something I found with you and Buck and Ty and and everybody who I've had the opportunity excuse me, um had the opportunity to clear or uh come into path with. Yep. You know, the amount of kindness for a lot of individuals out there is is huge. Right. You know, and 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 the kindness that I've been gifted from others has been um huge and you know I, I hope that I can show that same kindness and I hope that I do show that same kindness to other people because without that level of kindness in life you know like when we're dead and when we're gone man all that's left is that legend and, sure. and, and I hope that my kindness is the same as my grandfather's kindness you know and, and I hope that I can reach people the way that my grandfather was able to reach people and, and, and help out his local community as well as he did, yep. you know, and make an impact and help elevate hunters and new hunters and, and instilling the proper ethics and stuff like that in the field for, for the future of hunting. Right. Well, that's a lifetime achievement. And I, the irony of it is that we don't realize it. And we don't even get to know it until we're gone. Right? Yeah. We don't hear about it. <laughs> we never but get the privilege. It's made It's made every day. And you just kind of live a certain life. And um, 
I agree with you on the kindness thing. Like I said, we said we were talking about this earlier. You and I would not be sitting here if I thought, eh, Andy's a nice guy, likes to hunt, blah, blah, blah. But he's, you know, Fuck that he's not guy. a kind guy or whatever. <laughs> he just like, seems like he's in it for himself. Yeah, nice to meet you. Oh, you're in Montana? I'm busy, man. I'm sorry. No, like knew that right away um, when we met you in, in Utah. And yeah. You and I are not going to. It's funny. Mark CK, he coined it. He calls it the Andy effect. <laughs> and I couldn't tell you what it is. He's, he'd be a better explanation of it. But he, yeah, I remember I kind of, I think I helped tee you guys up to yeah. meet each other. Yeah. Part of it anyway. Probably, yeah. I think Brendan helped you too. I think they maybe connected more dots. But yeah. um, I remember you were coming back, I think, from the, the Bighorn um, experience that you guys had transplanting. And I was talking to Mark. like, oh, you know, he said, was, he's like, I was like, was Andy with you? And he said, yeah, he just, I just left him. He's, oh, he's actually driving right in front of me right now. We were texting. <laughs> and that's when he told me, he's like, man, what a great guy. Thanks for connecting me. And yeah. I think that's that's how life's meant to be, man. You're supposed to you know, pass along good people to other good people. And um, I think we're all smart enough to know when shitheads come along and just turn your back on them and walk away. And yeah. the, the grace of, of learning to just shut your mouth and just, eh, you're not for me, instead of talking shit or like yeah. – mentioning that they're bad people or passing along any kind of bad pessimistic attitude to somebody else about that person it's just you're not for me you need to turn around you walk away and i think getting graceful that's that's my uh, my goals as i move forward just right. becoming more graceful with that yeah, yeah man and and you know practice of restraint of pen and tongue you know which Do is it. exactly what you just said you know big time big, big time. time you know and that's there's so much to be said and so much to be learned for that uh which is, you know, really amazing. So I'm going to fall from it, from this. I'm going to transfer into the dead eye question, right? Dead eye outfitters, hats, t-shirts, apparel, Brian, everybody in that company, Nikolai, everybody, they're, they're great dudes. Yep. Um, so I'm always at, you know, part of, part of the, the sponsorship of them with the podcast is yep. asking the dead eye question. So my dead eye question for you would be if you could go back in your entire outdoor career and change any of it what would you change and why would you change it oh man that is a monster it's a monster question oh my gosh without having any time to really contemplate that thought because there's probably quite a bit i would change and i would just hate to say the wrong thing mm -hmm. um what i here's what i wouldn't change I used passion to get me where I was with photography, and it's gotten me to this very day. I don't know how much longer I want to continue with doing what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing, but I might do it in a different direction. Mm -hmm. I think it has a lot to do with my lifestyle, my family life. Um, but I will never change the fact that I used my passion to drive me everywhere I went. Yeah. Um, it helped block a lot of the bullshit along the way, and it helped get through a lot of hard times where you don't even think of them as hard times until you look back on them. You're like, man, that was just passion that got me through that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I hear that, man. And the the things that I relate th to that. Yes, and that I mean that could be easily translated into things that I, I would change. Um, not not using passion, whatever. But oh man, you know, my goal in life, Andy, is to get to a point where I'm just I have minimal regrets, and I feel like I'm I'm, I'm I feel like I'm there. If you look back on the things that you do regret, or the things that you would change. If you analyze them long enough, you'll look and find the positives that came out of each and every one of those. Mm -hmm. And that, if you have that attitude, I think it turns a lot of perspective of 
things that you would change or man i wish i would have done that differently but if you think hard enough about that thing that you would have done the positive that came the out positive of it that came out of there that gets you right here where you're at today that learning experience so, man yeah so ah. I'm, I'm trying to train my brain to see those things always not, look for the positive yes because no matter neglect, what the negative it's always there and not neglect what the negative was like or, or realize that appreciate it and um embrace it mm -hmm. say it to yourself over and over and over like this was a negative i messed this up you know, mm -hmm. and then just embrace that, get over it and get past it. And, but keep the, moving forward. There will be a positive somewhere if you look and analyze it hard enough. So as you asked that question, I thought about it. And for everything that I found is maybe something I would have changed. I found the positive side of it that got me here where I'm at today. Yeah. I really do believe that we're, you know, like we end up where we're supposed to be good, bad. You get what you deserve. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, dude, you get it. Um, and so, and a lot of that I think is in, in tangled up with how you treat people along the way. Uh, 100, 100%. Yep. 100%. You know, it's funny in the hunting industry because you look around and it's, it's Camp Kuyu, it's Camp Sitka, it's Camp this, it's yes. Camp that, you know what I mean? And, yes. Uh, for me, the one of the, the I mean, I love Kuyu all yep. day through and through. You yep. know, I'm always going to be a Kuyu guy. Absolutely. You know what You've I mean? have got a great relationship with great people that have built an awesome brand over there. Right. Well, and and even before I had those relationships, that's just, you know, how I was, you know. And and uh, getting to experience so much life with people that are Stone Glacier guys, people that are Sitka guys, people that are First Light guys, like, that's just so amazing. You know, and it, to to be able to get beyond the hard boundaries that we set up inside the hunting industry, because yes. it doesn't happen outside the hunting industry. Right. I mean, maybe a little bit joshing with friends, but you know, like for the most part, it's an internal in the industry issue. The gear and the way that the brands have built around their systems makes you invest in one of these particular companies whatever you feel like your brand or what who you personally identify feel, with identify with what brand yeah. right and once you make your investment into this material this this technical apparel which is absolutely awesome all of it dude all of it um if you look at it in a perspective of 10 years ago now is one company better than other at certain aspects absolutely they are but i guess what i'm trying to say is once you commit to that and say this is where i identify myself with this brand mm -hmm. you financially invest in that because the gear is not it's not cheap man it's not and once you make that investment you you invest in that brand and you go with whatever whatever they choose to how they choose to brand it or signal themselves or what camel pattern they decide to to launch like the new um uh, is it what? Velo. 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 Yep. So, you know, instantly you're invested in Kuyu, you know, the gear, you know, the apparel and you try out their new camel line, whether for, whether you, whether you believe in it or not yet, because you've, you haven't used it, mm -hmm. you trust in that gear. So you go with it. And that's basically, I think where it comes to these dividing lines between these different, these different companies right now, um, is that they're coming out with a complete system of, of gear, right? Mm -hmm. Camo for a long time was real tree and mossy oak, and for the most part, they were just selling the pattern. Yeah, you know. That so you could get that. Pa you could get the sick backpack in that camo pattern while you're getting your Cabela's Instinct 
yes. you know, gear because that was at the time. Whoever whatever. it was licensed to. Yeah. But now they've, they've brought it in-house to where, no, this is what we make. This mm-hmm. is our patent. We well, own the big box to- stores are fighting back against it majorly as far as like uh, with a company like Kuyu, big box stores won't buy advertisement from companies if it's not, a, if it's a brand of camo that they can't sell. They will not use it for any advertisement in their magazines, in their billboards, and anything. And I think all these companies have shown that it doesn't matter. Go for it. You know, have yeah. that feeling because yeah. they're going to do just fine. Yeah. But, it, you know, man, what a great time in life to have the options to get into hunting and to have the amount of technical gear that's out there to feel to feel comfortable 24-7, mm-hmm. to be able to shoot as accurately as you possibly can, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, – <coughs> excuse me, whether it's firearms or whether it's archery, man, what an awesome time to get into it. And all this competition between these brands have only further progressed each one of them. They can all thank each other as much as potentially look at each other as competitors. Well, it's like innovation never sleeps, right? Never. The and this only is way that you're going to do the only way you're going to have more innovation yes. is another company coming yes. along to fucking stoke that fire back yep. up. Yep. You know, yep. and that's the American way. Yep. And that's the beautiful American way, yeah. which is just amazing. Right. We're so innovative. The manpower uh, in of our brains is just insane. Well, it's like California and the gun industry, right? California comes up with some new way to fucking block AR-15 magazines and make it more difficult to eject a magazine. Yep. And then some amazing engineer comes along and engineers a new add-on for a rifle that outdoes the last right. engineered piece right. and makes it quicker than the last you know, regulated right. piece of equipment for it. Right. It's amazing. Right. It is amazing. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. Should we end it there? Yeah, brother. I got a, we got a, I got a jet in the yeah. town real quick and thank you for having me. On hey here. dude. I hope somebody got some value over it. This is Probably. just bullshitting basically, yeah. right? Like hopefully <laughs> someone was on a long drive and couldn't find anything else. And they're Commuting like, yeah, in the work, Bay you know, area, dude. Work. That's what it's all about right there. <laughs> Thanks for your time, man. Thanks uh, for having me over always, again. Anytime. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.